Chords podcast. That, those are not good. No, no. Hear ye, hear ye. Yes, we're gonna be it, focusing on like Renfair related stuff. So it seemed appropriate. You said those. Are you pluralizing no, the hear no. ye's? You went. You went oldish English to like very very modern vernacular. My you, good gentles, it's clear that none of thee do dost know how to speak proper Elizabethan English in any way, shape, or form. Forsooth, my liege. Forsooth, I'm going to shoot thee. Forsooth, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Thou would not possess a pistol. Yes, yeah. Actually, no, that wouldst. Yeah. No, that wouldst. Yeah, that does put in the... But, but that's, it would be very hard to come by back in Tao Day. Stop I mean. speaking, Steve. Thou does the, not the, make the, it Elizabethan. <laughs> dul- you were listening to the dulcet tones and very British accent of um, J. Robert Coppola III... Of the seventh generation, I don't know, making it up. J. Robert Coppola, aka Joe uh, Rude, is our guest again. I'm gonna need some documentation. He said rude right. I did he didn't say, say rude, right. rude or anything um, like that. Not like last time. Last time he was on the show, he was promoting Kings of Karaoke, which he goes by Joe Rude for. I'm still part of the Kings which of Karaoke. Which he's still part of. But we are uh, having him here today to discuss a little bit about his acting career and how he is a regular every summer at the Tuxedo Renaissance Fair. He's a musician there, an actor there, a fighter mm-hmm. there. And so um, we brought him on for that. Um, in the spirit of talking about acting, as the listeners and my co-hosts know, I was in L.A. last week for the 24-hour plays, the L.A. branch. Wait, 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 wait. You forgot to do the hair flip. I was in L.A. and it was, like, <laughs> totally awesome. I'm sorry, you can't do the hair flip without all this hair. Whoosh. Um, for for those listening, we need a camera upgrade. We really do. Yeah, we do. That's why I did the whoosh. That's oh, the whoosh. Just, no. just like, were you born with it? No, it's just Maybelline. Oh, okay, good. That was good. <laughs> um, so I was I was working for the twenty four hour plays with the twenty four hour company Mont uh, Mont Blanc and Urban Arts Partnership, which is for underprivileged children in tough neighborhoods. Get them the arts education that they deserve and need. Um, there was a lot of great talent there. A heavily music influenced show because there were a lot of musicians acting. Alanis Morissette, Kelly Osbourne, and Gavin Rossdale were all amongst the cast. And I had a wonderful moment where me and Wilmer Valderrama geeked out over Gavin Rossdale. And then he sat down at our table and ate dinner with us. It was very awkward. Gavin Rossdale did. Yes. Um, it was very awkward, but hilarious. Um, I love how you just named drop Wilmer. Yeah. That was <laughs> I awesome. Did. That was pretty awesome. Um, I also debuted, had my theater debut during the 24-hour plays. You one were of, in a show? One of the one of the plays that was written, um, so all the plays were written overnight within four or five hours. One of the plays written was called uh, Apo- Apocalypse Recently, and it, <laughs> it's about an apocalypse uh, that happened. And the, I love that. the opening of the, the play is it's dark on stage, and there's a group of people talking and chatting silently with a voiceover by Gavin Rossdale. And so I was one of the extras. Before we went out on stage, me and the handful of extras, it was a couple of ADs, a co-producer named Tito, and a few others. The director of that play was Fred Savage. So before we go on stage, he comes over and goes, 
are you my dead people? Great. Here's what you're going to do. And then explains how we're going to fall, what our cue is. And so I took stage direction from Fred Savage, which was kind of amazing. That's a, that's a less, that's, yes. I can't even make or fun more. of you for it this week. Do you have anything, John? Well, I already said the whole Valderrama, the name, name dropping. Drop thing. Oh, like, oh yeah, right. no, me and Wilma were hanging out and... Yeah. And then I'm just going to toss my hair again. <laughs> but the the plays went really well. This year was the first year where they were all like pretty with pretty much without error or noticeable error. And there was actually a very serious drama written by um, um, I'm going to blank on his name now, but written by an actor who's also a writer, but more known for uh, David Crumhurst. Crumhurst? Yeah, I believe that's it. Okay, that's the first one I didn't recognize. <laughs> who's that? The lead from Numbers. The TV show numbers. Oh, he's, see, even the ones you don't recognize are ones you recognize. Yeah, I know. He's no, recently he's really been. Cool. He's I like him. He's recently been I'm writing. I'm so upset that they kind of canceled numbers. He'd recently been writing, and his it. show was the most emotional, which was really cool. It's, um, it's like they canceled Chuck. It took like two or three seasons for them to actually but, cancel. Guys, it. I'm still a little sore about canceling Firefly. Okay, yeah, but it's, it's been uh, a while. Yeah, Time to get over it. But um, but the shows went really well. It was a lot of fun, and it's great to be back. Though I really didn't want to leave LA because it's nice having heat without muggy. Which I realized was what re, didn't realize was a thing because I'd been in New York for so long. Actually, no, New York. We get the heat with the humidity. In LA, they perfected it. <laughs> yeah, they fine tuned their weather. Well, they know how to have 102 percent humidity without rain. And a music reference: when we got to the Santa Monica Pier, all I could think of was the song "Santa Monica" by Everclear. So there's that. It's also um, probably nice to have celebrities without the snobbery. Yeah, well, I mean, this is all for charity. So yeah, they're volunteering their time and. Uh, the the show that the shows they put on were great. It was for a good cause. The students this year, because every year there are students in the production. This year, the two students were actors, and one of the kids, he was Oscar, was just incredible. His comic timing was spot on. He's just going to college now, and I'm excited to see where he goes and if he ends up on TV because he was he was very good. Well, the next time you go to LA, we will probably strangle you and usurp your life. So thank you. I was I was gonna pull a James Gum and just completely skin him and wear him to LA. Thanks a lot, that, Bolton. That wasn't creepy at all. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to find you... your book one day. I know this with this whole plan laid out. Um, if I get Anthony Hopkins to help me, is it better? Just put the lotion in the basket. <laughs> Thank you. Um, before we get into this week's album, moving on, I want Joe to talk a little bit about what he does at the Ren Fair now, because I know that your gig is a little different this year. A little bit, yeah. Um, this year at the New York Renaissance Fair... Um, it's actually the first year I will not be playing a courtier or a pirate. Somehow I've always, uh, for the last couple of years, I've always ended up in one, one or both of those roles. This year I'll be playing uh, Brother Dementis, the Mad Monk. He's Brother got multiple Dementis. personality disorder. <laughs> Exciting. Is that like an offshoot of Dr. Demento, kind of? you got to come to the Renaissance Fair and find out, my friend. <laughs> yeah. um, I am also, uh, this year, uh, I have taken the reins uh, over for uh, the men's group, uh, Rascals and Rogues. Uh, we are a uh, five-piece um, singing group, uh, and uh, this year, I'm, I'm in charge. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, a little harrowing, a little nerve-wracking, but a whole lot of fun. Got some really talented guys with us this year, and... Um, it's, it, we're looking forward to um, bringing a lot of great music to a lot of uh, a lot of happy f uh, families and all of our friends and such. So cool! It's Exciting. gonna be a really cool year this year. Um, I'm excited to hear more about it. And and so the reason I wanted to bring that up is because this 
talking about this side of your career, your acting and your musicianship, this leads into the album you chose for the Us This Week, right? It's very true. Um, actually, we're going to be adding a song this year to the Rascals and Rogues um, repertoire from the album we're talking about today. It's uh, Carbon Leaf, Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle. Uh, really great, great album. That's, I'm a, that's an awesome name. It really can, it, can you imagine a ghost dragon attacking a castle? It could be used in so many different genres. I mean, I could see a death metal in this mm-hmm. field. I could see uh, this. This definitely could be pulled off as an indie or folk, um, possibly even an old classic rock like Floydian or ELO, something like that. Yeah, but that would have to have like a hand drawn cover of like a ghost dragon attack. No, that would actually be like if death it was metal. if it was death metal, it would have the hand drawn cover cover by the same guy that does every single death al- death metal album. It could have been. Honestly, I kind of want to see a five year old drawing of a dragon ghost dragon attacking a castle now, though. That would be it, it probably more preferable sticks. to that guy that does every single death yeah. metal album cover. <laughs> but it would be like a metallic robot ghost dragon if it was sticks. How could it be metallic and robot? And no, it would be a see-through dragon, but with well, like with arc. like a Tron background. This is getting really complicated. So this <laughs> album, so you chose uh, this band because one of their songs is going to be a song you're doing with your with um, your band at the Ren Fair. Yep, Rascals and Rogues is going to be picking up uh, the second track on the uh, album, the Donnie Brook Affair. Um, we're, uh, we're actually this Wednesday at rehearsal. We get to try it out for the first time. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, this album I really just enjoy a lot. I'm a huge fan of Celtic, uh, Celtic rock, uh, Celtic music, um, traditional Irish. That entire um, folk genre has always uh, uh, been close to my heart, uh, especially since I get to sing it at Renaissance fairs and stuff like that. Um, but even before that, I was always really big on the um, on that entire the ethnic music kind of thing. Um, coming back to my personal uh, ancestry well i find that it's a very just celtic music in general it tends to be a very flexible genre well actually i should say adaptable genre and maybe not so flexible necessarily because it retains its identity over the course of these centuries and i don't believe uh up till now we've done any celtic music proper have we no. I mean, well, we've, as a review, we've, we've mentioned a, a lot of bands and albums over the, the years now. We've not, we've we not, had never, reviewed we've not reviewed a straight up album. Um, the Wasties, who have been guests on the podcast, play in that genre, but mm-hmm. we have not reviewed an album as such. Right. But I think you're not uh, wrong at all about a. It's a very flexible kind of music um, because this is actually the this is the common music of the people. Uh, it's probably one of the first um, European. Uh, basic forms of popular music. Right. Uh, you have your upper class who's always doing the uh, the uh, not the jigs, the um, you know those waltzes and dances and those uh, you know the saltarello, the gagliarda, all yeah. these you know great long very classical music. It's very uh, nose up. Even back to medieval times, yes, it would always require that that nose up and sort of dancing perfectly mm-hmm. upright and the, well, all music, these posture changes. Music was always something that of the learned class. Yeah. Um, and as music started to become uh, more easily accessible, more uh, you know, common men found easy ways of creating music and sharing it um, from the very prehistoric times. Yeah, when they were able to start mass producing 
Or maybe mass producing, when people were able to make their own instruments. When they were started producing. Not mass producing, just, just producing. When they started producing. When it yeah. was the yeah. violin made trickled its way down to the middle class and lower class. Well, even when the lute was first invented in medieval times and a guy could go around just singing songs, he was always considered the lowest of the low, but he was entertaining to the higher ups and therefore was okay. When you start debasing that, that kind of music is where you start getting into the... Um, what became Celtic folk music because this is this this is the music that you know that lute player after he's done playing for the king and queen would come into the pub with his you know satchel of cash and be like all right I need to get drunk and have some fun yeah well, it's also between I think the whole church, well, well, church and secular thing is also I think very important the second yeah. we move toward like secular music then you start getting your 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 troubadour esque songs about love and love lost and all mm -hmm. that stuff which which lends really really easily to these right. kinds of uh, tunes. What I found well, really interesting is that as the Renaissance comes on, these the gap between these two starts to close, and you start to get a lot more of these uh, themes running coherently, uh, uh, con uh, together. Concurrently. Concurrently, that's hey, the word I was looking go. for. See, I would have just made something up and gone with it. That's 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 what you that's do. That's your M.O. Well, no, that's what we do here. Oh, no, no that's, that's what, what you, you do, do here. <laughs> Don't you lump me in that box. No, me neither. Anyway. Someone just got called we're, we're, out. We're speaking of, you just spoke of, let's get let's get drunk at the local pub, and first track is Bloody Good Bar Fight Song. I'm so glad you picked up on my segue. There you go. <laughs> this song, uh, I like a good title to a track before we even get into a track, and this one is just, it's a very face value title. It's This is what this song is about. Here it is. Except it it's is. not just about that. Right. It has a deeper meaning to it. Yes. That's this this is the first thing that I'm noticing. Uh there's imagery. And I'm not used to imagery in my Irish anything. <laughs> there, it's that you're not paying attention. Well no, it's <laughs> lyrics tend to be plain, as in their meaning is what they're saying, as opposed to the meaning is what they're alluding to. If you're talking you're about simply saying that most most Irish music you take as literal? Yes. If you're talking about straight up Irish, drinking Irish songs, rock. yeah, a lot of most of the time it is. When you're talking about more the uh, the more diverse uh, forms of Irish music, yes. uh, you know your jigs, your reels, and uh, when you get to the the sadder songs, there's a lot of imagery. I I find. Um, uh, what's her name? Lorena McKenna is a perfect example. Um, things like the Lady of Shalott. That song is so lovely, so beautiful, and I mean it's a f***ing, excuse me. It's okay. Hey, editing. Uh, it's a it's a um, poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson that was uh, she put to music, you know, right. and that you know. So you, there's definitely a, a, the ability of Celtic music to carry imagery very easily and very well. And also, I'll I'll swing it back the other way. I think that this this track could go toward the literal side as well. I mean, yeah. it, not all. I mean, imagery comes and goes here. I mean, it depends on how far you want to go with the line. You know, until you bruise your way into my life. Yeah, you can take other things along with well, that. The, but the you do have to go back to the title. It is called Bloody Good Bar Fight Song, well, the, so just wait, wait, keep wait. it literal. The next line is, you're like one good bloody, bloody good bar fight song. It actually, it, it, that's a simile. It's a, it's a part of the English language, which is actually being Im imagery. Steve is currently rolling his eyes at John. I don't, I don't usually get to oh. be professor. I think, so but you're, you're overstating it. This is, I mean... First of all, you sound like George Lucas right now. <laughs> That's the way he defended his prequels on that exact same logic. Wow. Uh, hence the eye roll. Point is, I, I, I think 
it's just a matter of none of you are taking this too deep and literally because no. later later on in this album we do get I, it's something that I would apply the word imagery to but if imagery is just your way of saying this is what happened and this is a semi-colorful way of saying it mm-hmm. this is still pretty on the nose Yes. yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it definitely well, it's, has the image, imagery aspects, especially with uh, lines like "tribute to all the kings falling down on their pride." You know, that's just a, 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 paints a pretty picture for me. But it, it's not. We <laughs> it's drink, and drink, and drink, and drink, yeah. and drink, and drink, and drink, and drink, and fight. And fight. We drink, and drink, and drink, and drink, and drink, and drink, and fight. And if I see a pretty girl, we'll sleep with her tonight. We will. Yes. Wow. I'm a little more inclusive. You sort that out later. I had to, sorry. There was a nice aspect I did enjoy right off the bat, and that was the tempo of the verses, um, which each verse had a, a kind sort of, of like goes... a 4-4, four, 4-4, four, 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 and then blends the second pair of lines together in such a way which you're left with just like two hanging beats It's really at the just end. playing around with the downbeat and upbeat. You have mm-hmm. the downbeat, which is always on the one, and then it's sort of, the upbeat is, is chosen on the second half of the two, so you really get this more on the one and two and, so one and two and three and four so that, that that's really where your emphasis are and that's almost in every single measure uh it's an interesting quality it, it's, it it's not something fluidity, i haven't heard before personally. but it adds a fluidity that we haven't not gotten very recently in a lot of the music we listen to but well, we're, we're just talking about how um how uh, imagery and poetry work together <laughs> and i think it's uh when you think about some songs as poetry you can understand where that comes in this is actually uh extension um, much like you would use in writing a sonnet. Uh, Shakespeare used stanchion, um, you know, iams and troches and things like that in his heroic couplets, all these things to put together to create a poem. And the artistry was not only finding the proper words, but finding the proper words that sound the proper way, that have, you know, an accent on the right part, on the right syllable coming in, you know, all these things working them all together. It's not just as simple as rhyming lines. It's every word has to be carefully placed. It's very colorful, and yet in that, this particular instance, it's being used to paint the picture of a bar fight. Exactly. So, yeah, there's lots of really interesting mm-hmm. ways you can do it, and I do definitely hear how that sort of pick-me-up can... It, it's, it's kind of like a stumble. If you picture a stumble, which of course is a lot going on, I imagine, during a bar fight, then, and also the fact that he kind of stumbles his way through this song, and you can hear a lot of other things. I think the imagery, uh, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, is not so much in lyrics for me, but the music itself. It's absolutely the imagery. For, for instance, you hear a crowd, and that crowd is... is, is Provided by the by the fiddle itself. Well, the, the fiddle fir- in the background has a constant tremolo well, throughout this entire track. It's very very rapid, and I, I I interpret it as a crowd. Well, that's what I had noticed. The fervor of the fiddle work was what gave this kind of raucous feel to the song. It really right. kept you moving and moved mm-hmm. the song. It added this 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 pace and this this urgency to this kind of chaos. We had also talked about how a lot of the lyrics pick up on that uh, stumble. Yeah. You know, a lot of the lyrics are actually crafted so that the sound of the of the lyric hits the sound of the beat, and it keeps uh, keeps that um, idea rolling. Yeah. There's also a moment later in the song where the instruments go back and forth with a kind of mimicry, following the same notes. The very floaty solo. So as if the crowd was swaying along, or the crowd was bobbing along. That in this the, in a fluidity of this chaos. The yeah. interplay between the uh, penny flute and the fiddle. Yeah. The back and forth, and they were they they were adhering to the melody, adhering to the beat, but because of how light of a touch they were really giving the melody, it it kind of created a separate piece 
around uh, the the drum work and the bass work and the ooh was that a guitar in there? Yes, there was mm-hmm. a guitar in the song. Funny, I, I you know there's really a lot more to it than just yeah than just the um uh the tremolo <clears throat> and the violin and everything. The the imagery is painted also by just the uh, the penny whistle itself. I see as more of a character than anything else. I yeah. see that as as if that was sort of the the female present and the object of desire which induced said bar fight. Mm-hmm. You you could paint any number of stories you yeah. want to this because. I, I do find these, these lyrics to be somewhat general, and of course, it really is just hammering home the fact that it is a bar fight song. You feel the 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 steins just swaying in the background, that kind of thing. Or being it's, used over someone's head. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, which brings me to, to another use of rhythm. The drums in this song in particular were, were, I think, at their best throughout the album. In my personal opinion, um, the I drums think, carried this along. I will oh, contend I, I, that I, later songs. Yeah, there are a couple drums. songs later on where I like the drums more, but I will agree that the drums are definitely at a high point well, here. Maybe they it has something here. to do with the fact that, of course, this this is has such a pick me up. It has yeah. such character to it that you know I'm more inclined to notice something more like, like that. There's other there's other songs later here where, to be frank. It, it reduces itself to a more standard Irish jig, in which case the drum work is fairly limited. It can't go too off the wall because otherwise you ruin that that two four structure or that four four structure that a a, a round or reel might entail. Right. You know. Well, I find that true of uh, most music. You can't be too powerful with the drum, but uh, in a lot of Irish folk music, the uh, bodhran is usually pounded mm. uh, and gives a really hard driving line. Um, it's not. It's not so present. Uh, I think in this song because you've got such great other aspects mixing themselves together. It's a very balanced sound in this one. Well, hard driving line is one thing, and that that's that's just it. I think this um this had more intricate drums to me. Yeah. In which case, you know, hard driving line is something that definitely does appear later on, and it's just a, a different aspect to note. But the yeah. drummer well, here was historically that would have been used for the large spaces that they're playing in for the common folk to actually have them keep the beat while dancing mm-hmm. without the use of actual equipment electronically powered to propel their song across whatever expanse they're using you need something that reverberates and here it's yeah it's a little more updated than what you'd expect but it's it does still have that same original type of feel to it and it, any... it doesn't divert from that yeah in any case props to Jason Neal the drummer for Carbon Leaf on that one hmm Yes, we should have individual call-outs more often, shouldn't we? We should, but none of us <laughs> do any research, and so that's we don't. not true. I do hey, research. we do a lot of research. We do lots of research. Not with band poor memories. Well, we're not, yeah, well, we don't do a lot of research when it comes to band members. Often, I'm gonna call myself out. I got my smartphone out. Wow, I've got the Wikipedia. You sold page open. Out pretty quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, and just about every major sports announcer on major radio has the same exact thing. No, no, that's even worse. They've got a person. They've got a separate guy. They got who person. Has a they have research yeah. they right it. there. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, people think they're like well, actually, full of these facts. They just like, oh yeah, stored in the mental hard drive. It's actually common in podcasts also to have a other person on a computer. So you go, oh, what's that thing? Hey, so and so, what's that thing? Okay, great. So the thing is X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but we like have our to little self justification. Yeah, we just turned that around to saying, hey, actually. Pretty good. <laughs> I have enough other talents. I don't have to. Can we ride this brain. unrelated segue into the next song? No, we have to talk about the outro of this song. Okay. This song you actually, have to. Uh, it was. I really enjoyed the way. Well, first of all, it leads directly into the next song. Oh yes. Number one. 
Yeah, number two. Tra- it's not a proper transition on this album. But I thought the transition mm, was great. There's that use of proper again. I don't know that... Nah, you're right. I I would, that's a John word I'm taking. Yeah, I don't know that I, I would never use, use a John it's word. It's the right. only smooth, uninterrupted transition on the album. This is where a track one, track two goes from one to the other without any pause, any delay. It just goes from one song smoothly on a note into another. Fair and that's I took great. liberties to use that word only because it, it really is a transition. When right. you think of a transition, you think of it as a continuous piece. Yeah. Transition is not so much the empty space that exists between most tracks on an album, yeah. which, you know, there's no exception generally. But used in this transition is that really strong uh, driving drum beat. Yeah. It almost yes. com- once the transition is made, it almost completely drops out or fades down, and all you have is that drum and the lyrics coming in, and it's just... It was, it was pretty good. Hours. It like, was pretty damn good. Like, who knows who we can give props to that? Could could be the sound engineer right there? We don't know. Yeah. But that kind of stuff, I really, you know, really like those little intricacies. It does give a great uh, highlight to the harmonies, though, because you just get the drum beat and those mm-hmm. the, the, the all of them singing together in that introduction to the track. You know what I really loved? We are just talking about the imagery of you know of a big bar fight and, that, and how the whistle and fiddle are playing right. up against each other, and you almost see everyone smashing each other over the faces and like beating each other up. Mm. And all of a sudden, Sudden, this transition happens and everything drops and it's like someone just stood up and started singing this and the bar fight stops and everyone start paying attention to this one guy going a row eruption a fracas and a fray that's yeah. just weird because now they're describing what's going on there yeah from track one exactly and this is this is uh, interesting th- as we used the word earlier steve steve brought it up or i think maybe joe someone did it's a real this song mm-hmm. style got me into irish rock um, I remember one of the first, like, true Irish bands I ever heard was Dropkick with... Rocky I don't know Bo- if I'd call them true Irish. Uh, They're Boston. The ones that are, <laughs> the ones that are labeled I just came Irish. from Boston yeah, today. Considering this was I my soundtrack. Flogging Molly true Irish first, because they're at least from, from Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> yeah. You know where the Irish come from. Considering okay. this album was my soundtrack leaving Boston, I thought it was very appropriate. But then I said the same thing. It's Boston. So, there you are. Well, no, it's, it's, they're labeled Irish rock. Yes. Yeah, They've I always been, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But then again, the way it was introduced to Irish rock was... Rocky Dark Road King. to du- uh, Dublin. That song, that specific song. Now, I wonder if you heard the actual traditional arrangement, if you'd recognize the song. Yeah. I have heard the original, uh, and yes, I. it took a while. <laughs> exactly my but point. But I did. Which is why we're on this little segue here. Uh, no, not a segue at all. This little diatribe. Um, John is, is, has frequently pointed this out. Whenever we come across any, well, granted, we haven't actually reviewed uh, Irish music proper, but it's come up in conversation quite a bit. And Dropkick Murphys does seem to have a lot of effect here in America as far as popularizing Irish music. Mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot of it discussed before Dropkick Murphys came around. Yes. Now, I'm kind of more in line with Joe Root this, at this particular moment to say that they're not true Irish, or they, of they're course, were taking rock. many, many liberties. They're more Irish than Irish. Punk Irish. Rock. Yes. yes, they are yeah. Irish-influenced punk rock. But isn't there something to be said about that kind of popularization? Does, do oh, people yeah, now absolutely. have that? Absolutely. Do they have that to expect now from Irish as opposed to going back to the roots? Or are they inspired to go back to the roots as a result? No, I think Dropkick Murphys has a has made a good a great career of changing um, of using Irish music to change the the uh, view of punk music, mm. um, and they've done a fantastic job of it. Some of their arrangements are very traditional, like um, Fields of Athenry is one of my favorites, and that's very uh, has it follows the tradition uh, the traditional arrangement, but the way that they pound it out is very you know it, punk, very well yes, <laughs> but it's also it fits very well because 
punk rock and Irish music, they kind of come from the same ideas. I was just about to say the same yeah. thing. Or at, they least come... they, at least they have the same, the same principle, I think, yeah. in mind, that you get up there and sort of say whatever you need to say and sort of say it in a, in a, in a somewhat simple fashion. Yeah. Break it down in the same way that you described uh, It's the music comic around. people having fun, f- uh, finding their reason to unite, uh, mourning loss, all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Alright, I think that is uh, a good segue into uh, Donnybrook Fair? Donnybrook Fair, yeah, well, because this is one of those, um, we're gonna get together and we're gonna go cause, we're gonna go have some fun, um, stand up against the man. <laughs> the, uh, the council's trying to shut down this great party that they've been having for a long time. Gee, we don't know anything about that in America, do we? <laughs> I'm sure everyone has got one of those things as, you know, Back when I was a kid, we used to go to the fair every time, and now the fair's not there anymore. It's not the same anymore. That's what the song is talking to, and it's kind of great. Yeah, and I mean, this is where you really get a sense of what the fiddle and penny whistle can do. The dichotomy between the two of them and how they play off each other is really heightened on this track. I love that it is a very traditional reel, as yeah, you said. It, it, and, it, and you get a sense of that almost immediately, and it really <laughs> does add a depth to this song that really makes it entertaining and enjoyable. It's heightened, and yet I want to also bring attention to the relative simplicity of, of, of the rhythm, and that's across all of these tracks. So then, when you really consider this kind of music, this is why it's so lyrically driven, is because you have a steady rhythm, or at least steady enough that it's you can dance to it and bob your head along to it, and then you kind of focus or shift focus the lyrics a bit and this was one of the most powerful tracks on the album for in the lyrical sense because of how they play around with with words in general the alliteration on this is just is just over the top so much so that it's 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 a joke in itself you can hear you can hear him just writing this down and having fun with every little word a row eruption a fracas and a fray every i mean it's tailor-made. It's yeah. tailor-made well, to this kind of rhythm. I think that's true of a lot of Celtic music. They find they there's a very tongue-in-cheek humor, even when they're talking about serious stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like we can have fun. We can still have fun and find the humor and lightness in these things, which um, in its um, in its uh, progeny, country music was not able to find. Uh, doesn't use that so much. Irish music very much keeps that alive. Yeah. And uh, this is a, another great example. Like, it's, it could be something serious, but he's having so much fun just spewing out these words like that. And yet, to me, that's me, half. That's half the challenge. To be honest, I, I think that's what people mostly go to this for. Actually, for me, the best part of this song was the breaks in the lyrics. The actual, I can't really call them solos. Uh, they weren't really treated like a solo, but it's the, the musical interludes. interludes were really the best part for me because it took that basic drum work, that basic percussion, the rhythm that was being built, and and had fun with it. Especially the second break, you get a kind of an expose of each of the instruments without being you know long winded and well masturbatory. With so it doesn't break up what the reel is doing itself. But it's it's very enjoyable, and it's got a lot of character, and you can feel each of those different instruments has a different sort of character of what's being brought to this ruckus. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm this... not denying it's a it's a, it's a factor. I it's just it, there's something about the lyrics here which just they they draw you in to. Oh, it's they're really just the words themselves, almost more than fun. what's going on. They're mm-hmm. pure fun. It's that's that's I'm not going to deny that. But for me, the best part of the song was surprisingly the music. Very interesting. I can't wait to be singing this with Rascals and Rogues this year. It oh, sounds is... like it'll be a lot of fun, especially... How many guys are in Rascals and Rogues? There's five of us. And do all of you sing? Yep. 
Yeah, see, this and is, I can see that being a lot of fun yeah, with this. This is just going to be a blast to sing. This is the sort of song that everybody's going to have a beer in their hand as they chant along with. Well, you. I think, we certainly hope so. Well, I also like the idea of like you could do this. The 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 I guess it's the verse where what you were just quoting the um a row a, a row a ruction, like i could see them doing that in a round too which would be kind of fun too I oh, that would be a couple of different ways to sing yeah. this yeah, actually yeah. but i will not reveal it to any of you you'll just have to come to the fair which is in tuxedo new york you should go pitches again where's tuxedo new york it's in orange county it's not that far people in new york don't freak out really <laughs> It's about an hour away from the city. And Google. there is a bus that goes uh, from Port Authority right up to the fairgrounds. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Convenient. You can get your tickets and your bus tickets all at once. Uh, there's information online. You can check that out at uh, nyrenfair.com. There you go. Well, I'm have... shooting back to one more thing with these lyrics here. Okay. And that's the fact that I, you almost can detect that he's actually forcing words in there just for the sake of this little experiment. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, I mean, this is probably the fastest he sings in the entire album. And right after that whole, a row, a ruction, a fracas, and a fray, a rough and tumble free-for-all, a broil, a brawl, a male. Like, it, it, it is rapid. Yeah. Really, really rapid. It's, it's one of those things that... And when he says that, those three specifically, a, bro, a broil, a brawl, a melee, you can barely even catch it because yeah. he's just cramming it in there just to fit that little that little uh, pentameter or whatever it is. It's, <laughs> but he needed to fit it, and he, so he did. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's it. also fairly he common had in a lot of Irish music. He made it fit, is what you're saying. That's right. Well, and that's <laughs> actually quite common for, pro, pro, you know, these kind of lyrics. Well, it, it blends it over into com- yeah. comedy music to me, mm-hmm. a little bit. It, which means, you know, I almost kind of want to rate it for that. Not comedy, he, brevity. Excuse me? That's it's the opposite it. of brevity. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's very much, it's, it's, it's not a joke, though. Yes, it's got you got a smile on your face, but he's just he's just getting it all out. It's it's I don't see the comedy in it. I don't know, but this is what I'm trying to say about this style in general. It's been around for hundreds of years now. Granted, it has these minor changes, and yes, it is adaptable, as I was saying before. But then, at a certain point now, I think I think modern culture seems to view this as some sort of uh, novelty. This kind of music, because That's when it true. appears. You know, it it has that effect. It has that like, oh, I'm back in Ireland. I'm mm-hmm. Dublin. It, it's it's a little silly at that point. Too. I sometimes forget that because of how often I end up listening to it because I enjoy it so much. It's like, common man doesn't uh, nowadays doesn't actually hear this all that often. And when they do, it's like, oh yeah. That's right. That's why I brought up the whole dropkick thing because it sort of put people into that phase, which they could very easily be drawn out of mm-hmm. if it was not a an expansive genre of its own. So that leads me to my point here, which is to say that this is kind of a bit of satire, in my opinion. I would say satire more than yeah, straight up maybe. comedy. But there's just uh, too much honesty in the style. Oh, I know, I know, and be... that's why I think that it, this itself is, is the style. This style now itself is a form of satire that's that's if a that little makes... sad you know what i'm oh, gonna go, no, I'm gonna no, go no, ahead no. and say it i think you guys are thinking too hard on this i think you guys are putting too much brain into this it's just fun it is fun yeah <laughs> i think it's just fun. I, I, I think i agree with our guest yeah i mean that's the, the heart of it is i i don't think funny fun always equals funny i think you're finding some of the style a bit humorous but in all honesty, the song is just a fun, fast-paced song that's supposed to keep you entertained and engaged, and that's yep. exactly what you're saying the lyrics did. It's a, yeah, that's kind of it. It's a roundabout way. I mean, maybe satire seems a little bit heavy and a little bit thick, but it just that's 
when you when you consider this track compared to some of these other tracks that come later on, which I do think has that honesty to mm. it, then yeah, that's what this is meant to embody. It's just like we all know what a fun Irish jig does, and guess what? We're going to drive that home really, really far. Hence right. the satire in itself. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Speaking of heavy and thick, and but, no, this time I'm not making use of it. Euphemism <laughs> for once. Um, we're moving <laughs> on to track three, <laughs> the title track of the album. Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle. So this is our first instrumental track on the record. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, I, what I really like about this instrumental track is the, the scope of it as well as the fact that it really showcases all of the instrumentation of this band. They give you a little of everything in this track. And so you can really kind of understand what all of the musicians are capable of with their particular instruments that they play. And this sometimes multiple instruments that they play. Yeah, I mean, this, five guys. There's a whole bunch of instruments in the song. Yeah, yeah. This is that masturbatory part, but I was digging it. If this is not going in the, um, I realize this is going in a weird direction. <laughs> I was digging the masturbatory part of this song, the actual introduction and expansion of each instrument, and what they do, and not just what they do, but how they do it with each other. How I, they actually do that interplay. I would disagree with the word masturbatory because I think this is definitely a, a big thing of uh, this is a jam song. This is a song that you, you get together with a bunch of guys who know their instruments and you just, you know, you start laying down a beat and you jam on it. Um, I think this is where each person is showing, is bringing out their personal artistry and craft. I don't even call it so much masturbatory as quite talented. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, with Joe on this. This is not so much, this is not the, the, the caliber of a masturbatory solo. That's usually... That gets used because of what masturbatory means. One, either meaning solo, when you have one person that goes on for like five to ten minutes. Yeah, the same. This is bird. many <laughs> people crammed within a short span of time, and actually, they have a lot of taste here. Mm -hmm. They're segments of of the same melody often, and then they just trade off the next phrase of that melody to the very next person. And yet, that entire melody could not exist without them all together. That itself, that's the yeah, antithesis of masturbatory. That's that's knowing when to sort of give your liege to the next person. It's yeah. a beautiful collaboration of all of the musicianship in this band. It really showcases the talent of each instrument. Yeah. There's a Carter, I'm going to say his name wrong, Carter Gravat, I think, or Gravit. Um, he plays the uh, bazooki. I think there's a bazooki in this one. I might yes. be wrong. It sounded like a bazooki, which is a very, very strange instrument. Um, I'm not even sure I can really describe it. Um, but there's also, a, I think the hurt, there's a hurdy-gurdy in here somewhere, and possibly even the mandolin. Um, trying to pick out which one, but he plays all three of them. Right. So it's like, this one guy's flipping between instruments in one track. If you ever hear this one played in concert, can you imagine that? Yeah, just jumping from yeah. instrument to instrument. Something they can definitely hide in the studio version here. Right, but, but still a whole lot of fun. And well, I do is... have to wonder how this particular line of melody was composed. I mean, I, I, it, it seems... It seems so fluid that it's hard for me to even envision this being done in separate tracks as it probably would be done in a studio, but it's just, it's too fluid. That one, one phrase is just about to end and there's no possible way I, I think you could have that pick-me-up from the next instrument without it being a single line. And to be honest, in the, most of these cases, they're comfortable as a group. They're comfortable when they play as a group and sometimes it does lose cohesion when you trade off tracks. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest problems, I think, with making uh, this kind of music studio. And there was one instance where they really did purposely uh, kind of lose that cohesion. They kind of just completely flamed out all at once, about halfway through the song, and started a complete rebuild of the entire melody, like ground up. 
uh, where they just basically did a full reintroduction of each individual uh, instrument that really was the only way I can describe it is powerful. It was amazing to hear so many different pieces because it was almost as if like the penny flute would would, would create a statement. And then it goes into the background, and something else recreates that same statement. Mm-hmm. That's that exactly the, the part that I'm talking about. That yes. that was a that was a very special but thing it's not because only... that was hard to do. Absolutely, but it wasn't. It's what's interesting. It wasn't just the um, introducing each di- different instrument, but also using instruments in different ways. We were talking about how they use the bass. Mm-hmm. Um, how you yeah. usually hear a bass line being plucked out one note at a time, and somewhere in this uh, in the uh, later part of the song, we actually hear a a brief bass solo where he's it sounds like he's strumming a main line and then a harmony line on the same instrument yeah uh, and it sounds amazing you don't ever get a bass emphasis like that tantamount to a full chord and yet it still has that softness of a bass and everything also the fact that it doesn't fit this genre uh to to our minds or to to public what is mind. expected yeah and and this bass is comes in comes in so sparingly here mm-hmm. and when it comes in it's just Something about it, it, it it's, it's a bit of contrast, I think, to be honest, for this type of music. Uh, it really could sometimes use that low end because it tends to be so loud and so fast and so high all the time. Sort I think of so. that's squishy. why they favor bald runs a lot because they, it not only provides a percussion but also a bit of a, a deep res, uh, resonance. Yeah. Yeah. All that, yeah, this this so far was, um this was a really, really strong instrumental as a first track. And we do get instrumentals later on here. Mm-hmm. But, um you know, it, it's really hard to avoid. I, I think, actually, I would apply your logic before. This is just fun to me. Mm-hmm. At first, I started up, I was like, oh, yeah, scratching my chin. Yeah, this is an instrumental, you know. Yes, it's very fast, 6-8. I'm just like, well, that's all, all it's going to be. And then it's just, an, it's a spectacle of trading off. And I think the important part is that it also keeps the t- uh, the f- the general tempo of the album moving from track two into track four. Right. Track four, she's gone. Parentheses for good this time. <laughs> Which right there, it, there, there's this almost comedic aspect coming out just in the title. Oh yeah, you want to talk As about if you have tongue the whole, cheek? The whole backstory is implied somehow, <laughs> just within the like. Oh yeah, all of you people hanging out, you know, watching my gig. Well, you probably know some. Some of you probably know me. You know my backstory. You know the person. All that stuff is kind of implied here. Well, yeah. It's, when you have a title like "She's Gone for Good This Time," it "For Good This Time" means she's been back before. She's gone before. As if sort of happened. swap your hand and say, "Wow, you know the story." Let's yeah. get into the most recent detail. And yeah. don't we all have a story kind of like that somewhere in our, somewhere in our history? Mysteries. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure that. <laughs> no, I'm going back through my history. Oh yeah, I got one. I got one. Some of us. I'm not gonna talk one. about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I mean, it, it, it's it's <laughs> this song is so upbeat, jaunty. Really, yes. Yet yeah, it is it's the jaunty kind, tune. It's miserable though. Well, yeah, I mean, but this is something that's very common in a lot of the Irish music that I've listened to is. They take something terrible but put a positive spin on it because it's better to look on the brighter side. And that's definitely the case here. It's a form of acceptance and looking on the bright side of life. I wouldn't even say that. It's not even the putting a positive spin. It, it's, okay, just even lyrically, it's it's not even positively spun. It's just they say unhappy things with a smile. But I'm saying mm-hmm. the music is positively spun. Like, it's positive music. It's very Irish is what it is. Which is energized, yes. 
Um, we were talking that's that general Irish spin on 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 the uh, the facets of of humanity, the facets of life itself. Because when you deal with so many potato famines in a row, you kind of have to act that way. Otherwise, you know, you'll just fall off with the with the rest. Your house is burned down. Here's a Guinness. Exactly. That's the um. That's their basically their mantra. I think. That's a horrible, <laughs> accurate generalization. We've just yes. lost all the Irish yes, listeners. It is. <laughs> yes, it is. But I, I really, I, it's, uh, it's got that little bit of the uh, call and response nature to it as well, mm-hmm. which is just something that always gets a crowd going in in this kind of a situation. Um, I, I, I love it's. It's sort of like, oh no, you're talking to your best friend. Yeah, no, I think I think she's gone for good this time. No? Yeah. Why? And now you gotta try to explain it. Yeah, it's strange that they actually have the whole conversation there, the the most general possible conversation in the chorus itself. Mm-hmm. I don't think I mean, I guess it's a little odd, but I think it's actually quite appropriate. It adds camaraderie to the whole idea of going on here, because now you can kinda of put yourself in the same Well it's shoes. commiserating. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's perfect. That's a perfect word for it. You're and it's, it's 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 hard not to smile at the stuff this guy's going through in this sort of a situation, which is why this is a very endearing track for me. No, you're right. My favorite part of this though is that is that interplay. I think between from person to person, because that's the kind of thing again that would fit the atmosphere that is generally throughout this album, which is that you're at a bar and you do have a Guinness, so tell your woes over over beer. Or you know, whiskey. Why not make that? A conversation as opposed to some kind of self-soliloquy mm-hmm. uh, that's not i think what's appropriate at this particular time in the album uh I, it seems that all of these uh really upbeat tracks are kind of thrust in the very front here because mm-hmm. we do get a little bit of a lag later on but i don't know i was in a little bit of a personal debate about that not necessarily that i wanted a track like this in a in a um more negative tone perhaps or a sadder tone, but that I wanted some other variety in the tonal changes or something like that. Because, you know, it's Irish music. You're pretty much just going to be getting a jig the entire album. I do like a little bit of a different spin, though. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Well, I I get that, but I don't think that this was the place to have it. I think the next song was the place to have it, and we get that. We get a bit of a tonal shift. So you like all the tongue-in-cheek just... Brushed right up front. I mean, it was a little. There wasn't cliche. any tongue in cheek in the third li- track. No, no, no. It, <laughs> there was this, nothing. There was nothing. There was no it tongue was in cheek in the third track. So there's only tongue in cheek in the first two tracks. Then we get a little bit of breathing room with a nice instrumental, but the instrumental still has somewhat of the same tempo, the same kind. It's of It's got feel. the same level of energy and style. Yeah, of that energy. I guess. Hmm. But then it's less about tongue in cheek and more about the energy. I think you know. Actually, you're right. That's really what I'm trying to say here. I think the energy was my only problem. I think the energy needed a little bit of a breather at this moment. Yeah, I think it, the breather came at track five in a perfect place. No, I, I think that four tracks of this was okay, and then we got a breather for I, two songs, maybe actually. Maybe it has to do with the key in that case. I maybe, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just don't know that I agree because we get a breather for five and six, and they're both much more serious, even sort of more modernish takes on Irish music. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, number five, it's just... It, basically, we go from talking about serious things with a kind of a laugh and a smile um, to dropping the pretense altogether, and we go straight into what's really going on. 
Well, I'll, I'll get to that in just one second, but I do want to explain there is some other reasons within uh, She's Gone that, that support my... my uh, my feelings on this and that tends to do with the interludes because up until now the interludes have been really 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 strong in fact they tend to be the most uh, eyebrow raising parts of, of, of the, those earlier tracks and then here I start to notice just some pre some similarities to the previous interludes where it's sort of the same style of kind of trade instrument trade instrument as opposed to perhaps the original style that we got in the full-on instrumental that kind of thing I, I would definitely stand by that statement I was feeling a little uh, familiarity with what was going on with the instruments that I can understand that I mean and I... that was it, it was making me kind of take a little bit of a step back that way because it was it was I was getting a little cliche well, to be honest like I was expecting certain instruments to come in when they did and to do the things they do but that's also a very typical of Irish music is that it gives you what you're expecting yes um, Barry Privet on uh, Penny Whistle coming in uh, when he did and actually I um, I think that this is perhaps this is my favorite uh, song that he plays Penny Whistle on Barry Privet's also the lead singer so I imagine it's kind of difficult to switch from singing that was to... one of the gripes we had yeah, yeah. If, if only you could play Penny Whistle well singing is a personal trial and will always have it was that third repetition of uh, it was after the second break and that third repetition of uh, the bridge chorus combination mm -hmm. where we were like that would have been a perfect part to just keep playing penny whistle right but we can't because the guy's talking now he he only has one mouth which to make noise with but well, you I'm, can I'm sure cheat. you could multi-track in thing. studio in studio but you can cheat but I in concert now that's the whole thing yeah. this song is obviously this whole album really has an obvious slant towards a live performance as well. Well, Irish music is meant to be performed live. Exactly. So come to the New York Renaissance Fair and hear some Irish music performed live. The pitches don't stop. No, they don't. <laughs> nope. See, that but was... now you'll be thankful that I only pitch at the end. Because I don't do that. A little bit. Just a little bit. There you go. It's because it's right. funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, we do get, we do get um, a, a less lighter, more serious, <laughs> sustained serious feel in the next track. Track five, Oi. Oh, I. Um, for me, the first thing... What? You can spell oi different ways. This That's is true. the Irish oi, uh, as to, to be differentiated to the Jewish oi. That's what I yeah. thought you, you were being so specific about. <laughs> you know, being Jewish, maybe you felt you had to distinguish yourself. I don't know. Why does it got to be racist? Well, it's... It's with a completely different Why is it gotta be? I gotta remember that part too. That that's true. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so this song has I I was discussing with Joe pre recording that had a float kind of feel. The the album and song Float by Foggy Molly it, is the more modern and more kind of easy rock kind of emotional track that they've done. That album was a lot more mature than previous works, and this song takes a much more modern and mature feel instantly in the yeah. beginning in, in the beginning of this track of this course you know that that mature my uh my mature feel that you're that you're getting out of this is basically just the fact that they went to a minor key yes yes essentially that's and a music a trick that i'm though. aware of. it's yeah. a contrast though but i mean it's not just the fact that it was in minor it's the fact that everything up until now has been major and yeah. has been so steadily major or only pivoting just between ones and fours and then back again and then here it, it's that suddenness that is what really, really gets you. It is very, very impactful, and I didn't expect it. I really, really didn't. And in some sense, that was kind of what I did want earlier on this album, but the only thing that didn't change in this track, which I m maybe had wanted earlier as well, was the tempo itself as well. It's the only thing. 
but all right. I mean, continue I'm along. For, 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 for me, along. the track that what really sold me is I mean, I had been touting the toting, touting, touting, touting the fiddle work up until this point, but the the in this song especially, it takes a more fluid, free flow beautiful feel than the franticness of the other tracks it's much it more emotional it's not, it doesn't really follow the um the the cadence and the stanchion that we've been kind of playing with to get that kind of tongue-in-cheek feel now we're kind of letting emotions out and it's it's just kind of it's just beautiful uh, one thing i really love about carbon leaf is that they have this ability to take irish music to a more mature and a more modern place here um as flogging molly did with float um and it's it's something that shows that irish music is not a dead and stagnant uh form a uh, genre it's actually very dynamic and it's still growing even today four centuries five centuries ten centuries after its creation it is and, and this track proved that to be honest mm -hmm. i mean granted i may have just only had that little thing about the tempo but frankly the melody here is one of my mo is the most impressive part by far very drawn out it sort of gets caught in itself and kind of feels like it could go on forever and my initial reaction to that was that i didn't know whether it would be positive or ne negative but on one hand it, it's expansive and it's the first time i could really say that it, that a change or lack of change i think was unforeseen for me while on the other hand there was a slight little bit of ramble to it but then i sort of thought about that considering the nature of this track and it was almost as if it, it was a question waiting for an answer which i think is a creative choice considering these lyrics and the words. Words, words, words. Oh, I, those words. These okay. words. Okay. Now, we, I, I threw out the word imagery really early, but this is easily some of the most powerful lyrics I've read in this, this year of reviews that we're going to be doing. <laughs> um, it's it's a, whole new, a whole new level. Bound in chains with a thousand rains, no wonder the storm still adores you. Hold me down or hold me now, screaming, I still love and adore you. It's poetic. That's, it's very it's poetic. It's not just, it is pure poetry set to music. But here's the great part is how they play with these words. I, I Just just some of the, the actual uses of the metaphors. Nightingale, mm -hmm. ashen pale, whistling tunes, yeah, the moon still adores you. The uh, Just speaking to what Joe's talking about, about the emphasis on words or using them to a certain end, I remember the specifically what really cuts through me like a knife is that emphasis on door, on adore you, where he goes really, really high and comes back down. Because in general, the melody is, and I, I'm, I use the word stagnant in this, in this case in the most positive way possible, because he stays in a certain field, a certain range, and he doesn't really shift out of it until he reaches that one note. And then he raises up and he comes right back down. It's this very, it's a cessation of longing, I think. And here's the best part is that he, um, in the first verse, um, he's created this wonderful rhyme scheme by using that Adoria, mm -hmm. and then he breaks everything. He breaks the rhyme scheme. He breaks it all. He says another word for that would be lonely. He's cramming too many words in. He breaks the rhyme scheme altogether, and it's all, you almost feel your heart breaking on it. Well, the there is one instance where my heart does break during this song. What song? And it is flow down now to frost the ground like cool hallelujahs. And now when that's he says imagery. I want to just point cool that out. When he says the word hallelujahs, that is spine tingling. That is tear jerking. That is everything I want in a, a voice. 
And this song does speak to something close to my personal life that uh, does, even today, listening to it with you guys, still jerk the tears forth from my eyes. That, that's the power of these, wor- of that, uh, of these words. But every every single utterance in here is just I love every aspect of this song. I mean song. this this is by far one of the most emotional tracks, arguably the most, um, with the exception of possibly one other track on the record. But it's definitely up there as far as emotion goes, and you get this longing, sadness, this this this. It's stoic pain. Yeah, it's something I think everyone that's, has that's felt it. sometime in the in the you know the trials and journeys of, that we go through. Everyone's felt a heartbreak like this, yeah. where it's like. How do you get that closure? How do you um, mend that broken heart? And, you know, it's like it says, you know, pick the lock, sweep the floor, allow the empty space to heal. Yeah. That's, and it's, but it's delivered with such, like, simple solidity behind it that the breaks in his vocal work and the breaks in the melody as he's using it to pair up to this vocal work, just it, showing those cracks are just so much more um, expansive because of that. It's not all it had either. I mean, the comping from the violin standpoint, I think also kind of tied this together, tied the story together sure, in course. tone at least. And then on top of that, the harmonies really served to give it those 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 highs and lows because they're very tasteful. They come in only at the peaks of these, uh, or only at the 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 peaks of these um these phrases particularly or else and, uh, hauntingly behind it which is just yeah oh so good. yeah it, it sort of it phases in and out in yeah. a way you know it, it's not even at the, that it stays to the end of the phrase it just it comes in it comes out and it leaves before you even know it was there and the harmonies have been strong up until this point but i think this is where they really flex their muscles they really show what they can do harmonically as singers yeah um which you know is it's something that we don't see as much as I'd like. You know, we, we always tout, tout the harmonies of, like, Steam Power, Giraffe, and a few others. But, you know, we don't get as many succinct and beautiful harmonies as we... And we're getting it here, which is a nice change of pace. Right. right. Well, harmonies don't probably, have to be... Yeah. Harmonies don't have to be fluid throughout yeah. an entire mm-hmm. track. Often, they think they're best used in, in, in uh, peaks and valleys. Yeah. As yeah. punctuation. But, right. Carbon Leaf um, is one of those bands that has a vast toolbox and knows when to pull out which piece. Another thing, and granted this speaks to what I was saying in the very beginning here, I may have initially had issues with this track uh, when I first started because of the intro and because of how it sort of went to a tempo that I was kind of familiar with, but normally when I have that that pitfall, it's hard to to draw me back from because it says that a song is about to sort of enter the same trope. The song pulled me back. It really, really Mm -hmm. did. And what was beautiful about this song is the emotion was very much, it was driven musically, but it was mostly driven by the lyrics. The next song, Track six, a song for the sea, I felt was more driven emotionally by the music, um, especially considering the the style in which it's played and the style in which the lyrics are sung as well. To a point, give you that song of the sea's kind of feel. The song, of course, is called a song for the sea, and it reminded me actually of a song that's much more modern, but taken that pulled from songs like this. I'm sure which is a song Down Easter Alexa by Billy Joel, which is a fisherman's song, mm-hmm. a very grinding fisherman song. And, and that's, what the, that's yeah. the kind of a, a emotion this song gives way to, this kind of work, working fisherman kind of sound of the seas. Another level of like stoicism that I saw on the previous track, but this one has a, kind of a camaraderie feel because of the way it's presented, yes. which definitely lends to the theme that they're developing here. I found it to be a good 
middle ground between the 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 sad emotional end of Oi and what we had known previously. It it was for once we tout on this on on, on track placement. I found this to be a great follow up. Yeah. Not as powerful, but definitely not something that's drawing me out of what Oi did. Right. Well, this is giving you the sense of what these fishermen are going through, what the sea can do. But still, there's the, that camaraderie, this kind of, well, if we work together, is still ingrained in this song, which is what pulls you out of that, that dark place. It's not an I and you like the previous song. This definitely is more of a where are they, where are we, what's going on, Yeah. them, there. It's always plurals being used mm-hmm. here. And in that, it together kind of a thing. That, like, plus the kind of almost shanty-ish kind of repetition... Yes. Of what's going on does which a lot to the comparison I was making, yeah. which both songs are very chantyish, and and I think that's what you know. I mean, yes, okay, is it a little predictable that a song called "A Song for the Sea" is almost chantyish? Yeah, but I mean, I like the placement after "Oi," and I really like like the ebb and flows that this track has. The lyrics are a little predictable for what you would expect of a, a, a song like this, but still, I like them. They were still poetic. If not, again, a little predictable. I gotta call it, I was not a big fan of this track. Really? I don't know. Here in this sort of second act, I, I was seeing quite a bit, a little bit of slide, to be honest. See, my issues I, came because after Because in this, this particular case, I had the same reaction in the very, very beginning that I had back in Oi, and it kind of, it kind of slipped back for me, because it wasn't able to sort of save itself. I have I have this thing with introductions. If you state an introduction really really strongly, I have very very high expectations. In this particular case, the opening here is it's you get this loose rhythm, a cello that's just detached, alone, singing a kind of soliloquy to itself. It's there's no rhythm, there's no drum to speak of. It's just playing around with intervals, not unlike uh, what we got from the from the electric bass earlier on. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is the chordal instrument, all just there. And yet, I I kind of liked you know the the breadth that that this is that this is providing. I feel Ireland. I feel landscape here. I feel emotions. And then the drums just kind of came rolling back in like on cue after you know your your designated four bars and whatnot. At which point we're at relatively the same tempo that the rest of the album has been, approximately so. And from there on, it was just hard for me to sort of get into this because it lacked the uh, the the in-depth emotion and then all the imagery that we got from the previous track a shanty i don't think was a good placement after oi i think i i can't very well input and say what else they could have done but to me it was it was a poor follow-up i'm gonna still argue it's a that. safe choice is what it is maybe that's not, not so I poor mean, but it's safe i mean i guess i can see some of the predictability predictability in it i saw that it's but... here we're going to show us a, show you a piece of our heart and now we're just going to kind of put a filler. But See, but no, no. Uh, uh, uh. no, 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 it's not a filler. No, no. I will fight that adamantly. It's not a filler, and I'll tell you why. Because he is very animately fighting this. Well, because really, what gentlemen. me and John stated earlier about how this song is about camaraderie and coming together—it's showing that you're not alone. I think that's a good follow-up to a song being so isolated and being about someone feeling so isolated. It being fillers, I can't agree at all. I feel like there's enough levels here lyrically, emotionally, and just scene setting as this kind of we're on a boat together in the thick of it song that it's not filler i mean i i I agree with you fine being taken out of it all right but i'm gonna raise you one just because 
on one hand, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. When you're talking about filler, I was only talking about just the fact that it's, you know, your courtesy sea shanty song. But if you're making the claim that it's not just a courtesy, then let's, let's go a little bit further with that. In which case, I want the emotion out of truly feeling alone. And wouldn't you think that would be better achieved by what he painted in the introduction as opposed to a just kind of plain sea shanty song? I mean, my, my main issue as I get into to the little details here are the choruses. The choruses in this particular track were just a little bit listless to me. It, it seemed that it, uh, it didn't justify the tempo in, in a way sort of sail, sail, sail everywhere. He sings it in a way that almost he doesn't sound quite into it. Granted, maybe that promotes you in a way that he's longing, he feels, he feels alone, so he's just kind of moaning it and groaning it, but I don't know, there's something about the resonance of his voice where I don't quite feel loneliness as I feel uh, kind of a, a twang of bore. Well, I... That, no, that actually would speak to fishing... Oh, to just being bored at sea, but still that that There's smacks nothing. right back to your standard sea shanty. But at know. the same time, this one speaks about going out into the sea, but it does take a darker turn. It talks about those sailors that don't make it back. For me, that what the I, danger and death that's yeah. actually out there. For me, what I was getting a lot of, and this comes straight out of that strong drum beat um, behind everything uh, in this one. I see a captain standing on a on the deck staring out at the thunder uh thunderheads ahead and like everything he's about to have to sail through he's like there's a grim recognition of this is my life and this is my job and come hell or high water that's where i'm going yeah it's that same sort of idea this is this i want to feel all these things i really do it's just that the music was not quite reaching that for me it wasn't reaching those heights or at least the resonance of his voice wasn't reaching those heights and i also i also take issue with you you calling that chorus a chorus? I don't really think there's a chorus verse set up here. It's more of a. Oh, that's undoubtedly the chorus. That. That's no, undoubtedly it, it, that, it, that specifically is undoubtedly well, the chorus. Sail, it, we sail, can also sail, agree that at sailor every beware, song is sailor going to beware. Every person the same way. That's yeah. one of the wonderful diversities of music. So it's not going to strike us all the same way. I mean, well, I, that's true. But I, I still I claim that this, there's, this is no yeah, argument wanted, about it. This is a chorus. No, yeah, there's a uh, chorus. Just, John doesn't know what he's talking about. It's fine, he's wrong. Um, <laughs> I think they break, they they differentiate, they play with the structure of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and all that. Um, because the it, verses came off a little bit more of a chorus to me as well. Yeah, it, I mean, can I, make a lot I of think it's just the extent of that chorus, which it's of course, like, you know, you can repeat like once, like or you can repeat me. it several times. I think ultimately the discussion here is that we didn't connect with the song the same way, <laughs> and if you're saying that you feel it's filler in the fact that it's a, a, a expected sea shanty, then I can kind of see where you're coming from, but I just feel that it was still a proper follow-up to five, and I think that comes to a personal preference more than anything well, else. I'll just stick with it. It was a bit of hype for me, because even when the interlude comes a little bit later, it starts to broach the same elusiveness, I think, that the beginning held, but it just doesn't quite live up. It was a little bit too fleeting, and then it jumps right back into the same rhythm, and it's just... I, I don't know. I'm a little think, zoned out to that at I the moment. I think the difference is you were so honed in on that intro that you had expectations that weren't met. Whereas the rest of us didn't really have that hone in that you had. We accepted the intro as what it was and what it was moving into. I think you were looking for more in a song that wasn't ever trying to deliver more. You found something that wasn't there. Not to be fair, though, I do think this is one of the weaker tracks on the, on the album. I do agree. It, it doesn't fulfill everything I want it, but I do also appreciate it being very... You know, it's what I expect from a shanty. 
Yeah, I mean, right. for me, yeah, the yeah, night, I still say a longing like, shanty. When I say safe choice, these, these this group does not do anything Irish poorly. No. So, no. you <laughs> know, I only my I would, real problem with this song is the ending. Yeah. It just oh, that's that, it. it dragged. Yeah. It, it yeah. dragged. Yeah. Yeah. But see, well, from, it's not that it just dragged. It kind of. I like the way it was dragging because I felt where it was going. The way that it just dropped itself. Yeah. On such a hard and it it, it sounded like it was gonna go somewhere and then it was. Not just a stop on the chord you're at, it almost created this unresolved uh, dissonance to end mm. on, which I was not a fan of. Yeah. That's personal preference. I mean, honestly, I would say, mm. and I can I can see I what you're saying. That I just I'm curious because I don't recall that specific dissonance. But it, when I hear it in principle, just the way you're describing to me, it almost seems like artistic justification for what you're describing. In which case, that could be a positive. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, That's I true. guess. I, I mean, for me though. The only way that this song could be one of my least favorite is if the next song didn't exist. Because um, <laughs> the next couple of songs is where the low point really hits for me, personally. Oh. The fir- and the next Depends track... on where you see your second and third act on this on this album. Yeah. Because y- you, you were... Uh, you, Joe, you noted acts here. And w- I, I, I'm curious just as where you would divide these. Um, well, I didn't so much note acts as I noticed that, you know, we get halfway through the album and, you know, you're third act area this is the third act uh where the third act problem but i actually place it um i am going to preface this just by saying that that the fact that there are three instrumentals i don't think is any accident no no definitely not probably not um but you know the third act problem is based off of shakespearean's uh uh setups where you have five acts the third act is the middle of the play and it's where nothing happens and kind of everything just drags and dies and I think that um, people it, arguing not a, in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a strong third act problem, but there's definitely a bit of a third act problem, and I place it um, in a song of the sea. Uh, about halfway through, it just you know it starts to lose me. Um, and actually, I really like February Tales, um, spelled very strangely. It's February. February. Oh, February. February. Come on, guys, it's the Irish February Tales. February. February. That's particularly. Poignant. Oh, there go my lucky charms. Where are your um, words today? <laughs> he doesn't I don't know. What words? He never has I lost. words. So, no, I, I really like this song, though, because it's actually, this is a throwback to traditional Irish jigs to me. Uh, maybe not jigs, but it's, it, this is traditionally Irish to see, me. All right, I, no, I, I see that. that. And, I, and I do see that, but I mean, we, we get something a little later that I felt was better and traditional, whereas this was just kind of... I don't know. Just Here's my disclaimer. Here's my disclaimer, just in, as to what I was saying earlier on, and it applies here definitely. I, I definitely I accept some repetition in this music as it does serve to maintain the party atmosphere and inter, uh, instrumentals or where that's at. But I think this track, especially compared to what we had earlier in the first instrumental, did hit the light FM clash of class of Irish folk. The first one, we had personality. We had we had all the instrumentalists showing themselves off, introducing themselves, because it was the first instrumental. This time, it's kind of a little bit of a rehash. It goes back to tradition, and yes, Joe, that it does succeed. Again, I reiterate, they don't do anything Irish poorly, but it's a little bit of a background noise and also, by comparison. I, I will say I that the distinction, it's there. It feels a little more lighthearted, a little more airy than Ghost. But it doesn't feel like it does anything different or expands upon Ghost itself. It's, it, it's, ah, it's, a, it's a hard one to describe. There's good comping at times. <laughs> There's some good rhythmic flourishes, but 
it was, I don't know, fairly pointless. Well, that actually say... perfectly typifies the third act problem. No, yeah. it does. It really does. I feel like, I just, I don't know. Cool, you might get some nice Shakespearean dialogue there. You know, this is like enraptured with his language. And it's like, wait, what? Did anything happen? I just, I feel... Are we progressing? I feel like for this song, well, I don't disagree that it... I mean, we've established. They don't do this music poorly. Mm -hmm. There's no... It's not bad. But I just felt for me there was... There was not enough detail or intricacy in this song, and there was so much detail and intricacy in in Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle. It was the same... I think... I think it was, you know, similar intricacies, but because it was almost a restatement, it uh, it lost me a little bit. I was like, all right, I'm ready for the next thing. But it, I mean, you, using a different part of theater, you can use it as like another interlude between parts of a play. It, it's it's not even the actual act itself. It it's the part where you're just playing music while everybody you know mills around, maybe gets another drink and gets ready. For the next scene that's coming up, it's it's used being used as as a breather between sections, right? Because is... if you look between the instrumentals, there's a lot of heavy theme work and what's being created in between the instrumentals. Mm-hmm. The actual story is is being broken up by these parts. Well, that's why I posed the question, perhaps a little rhetorically, to you, Joe, because I do sort of see these as the um, as the dividers in a way. Kind of in the way you'd expect, even during a Shakespeare act play, they would actually have, of course you never hear about this now, but that's very hard to do now because we don't know what happened then, but you would have music come in in between these acts just to give people a little bit of time to walk around because it's a long time to ask people to sit through a play. Or Um, stand, as the Groundlings were doing. Exactly. So, you know, the content of this album is obviously surrounding this, and, and clearly is not this, but they might as well give you some enjoyment in the meantime. It's a form of intermission, so I'm not going to be so so harsh on it. It, it basically is the same 6-8 framework with the, the same phrase, that same phrase that, that runs within one 6-8 measure, repeating itself over and over and over by different instruments in only marginally varying ways. Well, I think now is a good time to actually mention the fact that, uh, bringing that, that fact up, is that Carbon Leaf, this is actually the first really strongly Celtic-influenced uh, album that uh, that Carbon Leaf has uh, released. Typically, uh, they're, they're typified by their, uh, as an indie folk rock band, um, and they've been around since uh, 1992, I believe? Yeah, 1992. <laughs> and it's, uh, so they've had a long... A long career now. Their music, uh, when it first started, and when they uh, they started their own uh, label, uh, Constant Ivy Records, and then drifted off of that as an indie label onto a um, a major label. Um, why do you keep changing your hats? It's driving me nuts. I'm trying to have a serious conversation, and you keep distracting me. Yeah, sure. Blame John. It's John's fault. It's your fault. Uh, they're on a new label. They're on a new label, Vanguard <laughs> Records. Um, Vanguard Records pushed them uh, through, I believe it picked them up in the late 90s and brought them into the new millennium. Um, and then they, uh, just a year a year or two ago now, they broke with their label, um, citing the fact that Vanguard music is uh, was very um, strong on uh, CD sales and who buys CDs anymore. Mm. I mean, I still do. I, really I like do them. also, actually. I like CDs, but that's because I'm an old fart. Um, but yeah, they wanted to 
they were finding that I think they were finding that their music was getting stagnant and listening to their other albums I do like a lot of their Carbon Leaf uh, songs um, but it's true I can I can see where there might be a, a level of stagnance to their music at one point so they quit their label and started um, going back to they went back to Constant Ivy their own label and have been producing music digitally again um, which is of course a, a lot better way to um, get music out there and this is helping them grow uh, I think as a band this album in particular they took a very strong Celtic focus um, they reduced a lot of their um, a lot of their heavy pop or um, not so much pop but popular music influences and upped the uh, the folk ideology um, to produce this album so the fact that we are seeing a very traditional song being produced is new for Carbon Leaf and I think this might be them playing around with this idea of what makes Celtic music what can we do with it how can we be the same how can we be different I was starting to consider the same thing especially as we as we drew on to the second third act here and and we seem to move away from what I, I personally saw as, as, as a advancement or at least an individual an, an individualistic quality to this this kind of music because of course I don't know Carbon Leaf's previous work but then again I do know a lot of other Irish bands and or Irish Celtic bands Celtic folk that kind of thing and I hear something unique here and I do tend to be a little bit judgmental in this part department because it is tough to separate yourself from something that is uh, so commonly recognized as just what I earlier described as the novelty, you mm -hmm. know, the, the I get there Saturday night at the way station kind of thing. It could potentially be that. But every band starts as we introduce the Wasties, they introduce their own little spin. I like to see something individual in that department. Or, as I said earlier, even though it could be going a little far at times, the satire, that sort of thing. I don't think, now as we draw into the second, third act, that it really is that far, because it seems to be uh, what you're saying is what typifies the genre, what typifies mm -hmm. uh, Irish. Let's see how Carbon Leaf does this. And they can't always be pushing their previous pop influence down your throat. At some point, they have to start exploring little quirks about the genre, such as the sea shanty, such as the, um, the lamenting song, the breakup song, all these various aspects, which they actually uh, are pretty broad at. But... They cover a lot of ground. There's also something else that they are exploring here that is just not in real mainstream music as a whole, and that's the fact that this is in, this is a a rock opera. This is a concept album. This that's is a little act, far from me. This is a story, a pure, straight up story through and through. I think it's much. I was considering. I no, I was definitely considering that. It does kind of. It it's definitely. Themed. I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a concept album and a story, but there's definitely a a journey you go through uh, with this this, this, uh, this album. For me, this has a, a clear I'd... A to B to C to D in an actual setup of of uh, themes of songs of lyrics. Uh, I'm with Joe here. I th I see the I see the I see um, the, the journey yeah. and the journey. We've had this discussion several times. This is not. This is the difference between a theme and an arc. Yeah. This has an arc. Yeah. Arc is important, and arc is something that every album should have, and this album is not lacking it. If this but a were theme is really, really strong, and mm -hmm. that's just there's not enough evidence here for that. I think if they meant for this to be a concept album, the next track, "The Fox and the Hare," would have come before "Oi." Yeah, I think this, it's time to this... move on to that. Ah, uh, no, no. Uh, do you want me to do it now, or do you want me to do it during my wrap up? Because I have a reason for this placement. Well, we need to discuss uh, "Fox and the Hare" anyway, so. 
Well, if you want to get that out now or, or hold your peace. Part one, pre-Ghost Dragon, is going to the party. Part two, tracks four, five, and six, is the breakup and getting over the girl. Part uh, three, which is going to be tracks eight, nine, eight and nine, is the new woman. Going on to the next big thing in your life. And for that, Fox, the Fox and the Hare works pretty damn well. Yeah, but then part, the final part, I mean, it's back to you. For all, no. The, you the lose final, the second girl? No, no, no. The, <laughs> the, the final act is actually going to be a, a explanation of the reflection of the fact that you really can't have what you had before. And that regardless of what you try to fill the emptiness with, it's still there and you still have to deal with it at the end of the day because of the inability to create now long-term relationships. And I can keep going unless someone wants to interrupt me. I don't know. But I there's think, a lot there that I can I think talk you're about. forcing some of these themes. No. Yeah. I, I feel structurally, it's a little forced. I, Structurally, I feel it's a little forced. But anyway, let's get into the fox So the you're hair. talking about wanting an inundation of satirical now? Yeah. <laughs> so this one, uh, this oh, one's brother. dripping with satire. This one's just dipping, dripping with ridiculousness. Yeah, I... Let's, I let's just, let's just uh, clue everyone into the lyrics. I will fight Nazis to keep you with me. I would fight zombies eating flesh on the streets. I would chase lions and tigers and bears. Run away, run away from the fox, you young hare. Run away, you are too unprepared. I'm gonna entertain, and only entertain for now until this uh, sort of starts piecing together John's little theory here. And I do definitely say that this track, at least this track alone, is your kind of it, it's sort of an odd way of saying you're in love. Very, yeah. very odd. Well, because it's, it but almost... it is the I will do anything, it's the smitten stage is what no, it is. No, no. This, this is... is a rogue in love. No, no. This is someone trying to get the girl. He's not in love. No, no, no. This is in lust. I disagree. Well, we have no consent. I disagree mostly. So I can't jump on board. <laughs> because this is not someone who has his trying to get a girl. This is someone who has the girl. Yeah, because this, it almost sounds song, overprotective in moments. Like no, this is—he's trying to keep her. Uh, he actually says, "You can leave any time you want to." In the song, that's one of, one of the lyrics is, uh, "You know you can." Uh, I forget what it is, but you, it's, you know you can go anytime you want. So he's had her. This is I, I, this is I think a rogue who and a uh, a scoundrel, a fox who has won a lady or is is with a lady um, in some sense and. Yeah, has strong feelings. Like, well, you could do whatever you want, but I'm in love with you, and you know what? I'm going to fight for you. All your other quarters are going to come around, and you know what? You can choose them if you'd like, or I can fight them if you'd like. I'm going to win, because I'm more prepared. I don't take it that seriously. I don't think he's being that honest, It's not though. that serious, but I think the lyrics speak I don't for think themselves. He... Yeah, but it's it, when he starts talking about don't hate being beautiful, because you do have other men... Circling around you, circling the ring is the actual phrase. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, but I'm cunning, crafty, resourceful, and smart. I mean, he's basically going, I'm, I'm going to steal you away from these other potentials. It does yeah. refer to suitors here. Yeah, it does. That's strong. And not only suitors, but also duels. Yeah. He, he's talking about trumping everyone else. But I feel this is more of, he's speaking to the woman... Who's surrounded by the men but and here, getting him and putting himself in the position to get her? But then here's the here's the conflict in the entire song. The the uh, res resolve of the chorus is 
run away, run away from the fox, the singer being the fox, you young hare, the hare being the lady. He's telling you need to go away. You need to run away from me. You're not ready for this, but you're here. But I think that's more of being coy with her to make himself seem dangerous. Which is why I, I call this he's... a Rogan love. Exactly. He's talking himself up. And making himself seem so dangerous and so dark and debonair. Well, maybe and all not that even stuff. talking himself up, but just being honest. Like, look, I'm a I, scary I, guy. I'm a, I'm a bit of a jerk. You like me, I like you. It's cool. I'm a bit of a jerk. I'm just saying. I actually know someone who's very much like, yeah, I'm a. I could be really awful at times, but you know what? It's cool. <laughs> I hope he's listening right now, and I know. I hope he knows exactly that I'm talking <laughs> about him right now. <laughs> Gotta love that. It's always a possibility. Um, I mean, let's let's hop as, off as for, as sorry, I I, I mull over these lyrics. I do have to say it's it's um this this might be interpreted either way. We're not hopping off the lyrics yet. Apparently not. I mean, <laughs> I feel, we're gonna hop off. We're gonna hop off. I want to get I want to get into the music of it a little bit because the music of it, I mean, adds to that kind of satirical playful nature. I mean, what really sells it is the banjo. It's this plucking sound, and it's almost. In the way it's played, though, it does sound very mandolin-esque, but it's the sound of the resonating skin of the banjo that really adds a reverberation that really s- lets you know that it is actually a banjo being played. Oh, um, that that question. Yeah, it... it <laughs> I don't know the sounds of music. It, it, and I like, I like the music in this, out, in this track. I just feel like by the end of it, because of the structure of this, the lyrics, the music gets a little repetitive. Not... So unbearably so, but by the time the chorus comes around again at the end, you you've pretty much heard the same. It it doesn't expand upon what the first chorus had been. No, all I'm long. I'm with you there. It it mm-hmm. does get a little tired and repetitive, and also because the the chorus gets kind of tired and repetitive because it's just so silly, and standoutish that you can't not notice the lyrics. So when it yeah. gets repeated many times, uh, repeated a few times at least, you you notice. Musically, I think I would be most impressed in this track by what could be called the bridge, I suppose. It was the, it was actually a chance for a little bit of a change-up in tone. It was that all-male, slightly darkened choir when everything goes, Boys, run away, and you will despair. Run away, boys, you are way unprepared. But it's right at that moment. See, on the verge of getting a little bit darker in this fairly, again, upbeat track, Run away, boys, that, that's spoken really on a bit of a darker chord here and with the all-male choir behind it it has some power in sort of taking a breather and then the chord pivots back so safely just mid-verse you are way unprepared right after that and that that chord change right there was again one of those moments where i see these fleeting return moments like ah oh, we got to pull back can't go too far can't stray yeah, too it, far it from stayed the a little safe towards the end and i think that's where the song really lost me yeah and then it's also what you said it's um it's a little bit needlessly long. This do, this, it's a lot of repetition. Of I, I it's almost I kind of got the gist of this already. Yeah. You know, run away, run away. I, kinda, I get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, not that that's frowned upon, obviously, in a live setting. But I do make some distinctions here. This is an album setting. I think I think that's really where what it comes down to is uh, I do rate albums for studio releases. Otherwise, I would be at a live show. So. I don't know. No, yeah, I'm not going to give something specific leeway because it's designed for their live show. I mean, the reality is it's still an album. This isn't a live record. It's a studio album. Um, And I mean, you know... I think there's something to be said for either side of that. I guess. I mean, but also, like, this track, 
as much as I feel like this one could be said could be designed for a live setting, I feel like the next track is really the live setting. Oh yeah, track. Um, Any anything they lost in that last track, they definitely redeem in track nine. Victory. It's I love victory exclamation point because it's important, um, which is a more rock and roll sounding song. This is where they drop a lot of the Celtic. It's still there in hints, but it goes more along the more modern flogging Molly. It's in the rhythm drop more. kicks. Yeah, it 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 definitely is more strummy guitar work kind it's of more song. More of a swing style. Yeah. Str- um, a swing southern rock. Rockabilly actually. maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, don't know if it's about rockabilly, but. It's got, but I mean, it's noticeable because you haven't really had a strumming guitar line until this point. Most of the guitar work had been a little more intricate, or had been some supportive. other string instruments or supportive. Whereas this, it takes a front, it, it it takes a rhythm kind of strummy roll. Yeah. But um, you know, the victory, the the, the victory, the lyrics in in love, I love victory are also kind of on the same vein as Fox and the Hare, as far as fairly straightforward and simplistic. Um, and there's no secret to what this song's about. It's an <laughs> anthemy, go get 'em, pump up song about almost a conceited view of how 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 one can one loves victory and is going for the gold kind of an idea. This is why I almost wanted to uh, to to sort of entertain John's concept here that this was the victory. This uh, is the conquest. The, this was the consummation. But there is no, there is nothing. In, these Lyrically, lyrics are the most general. Yeah, this is they, just no. victory. Well, no, I feel like instead of core. actually winning the girl, he actually just ends up in a bar fight anyway, and 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 beats him. Nah, we're too off. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, too far nah, now. I'm, you're you're not holding much water here. Yeah, you're treading at this point. Yeah, and I, I mean, are there any lyrics worth mentioning? Because I, I remember the gist, but. I think well, the next I, song has all the lyrics that are worth mentioning. <laughs> the gist is really is, what these lyrics are, is the gist. I mean, it's victory, the whole entire core. Pass the cup around, I love victory. Lift it to the clouds, I love victory. Fears on the ground, I love victory. We're never looking down, I love victory. I mean, it's every positive. Ra-ra, sis-boom-ba song. It, yeah, Ra-ra, It's almost a little bit, it's almost a little bit satirical and comical because it's so much, I love victory. It's almost like making fun of We Are the Champions. Well, <laughs> yeah, actually, I can kind of see I, well, that. That's what same, I keep getting yeah, every time I listen same, to it. It's actually very much in the same vein of We Are a Crowd from Lonely Island, where it's just, you know, a very pump-up, we are a crowd, we're singing, we're loud, hey, hey, rah-rah song. Which was very satirical, and I think it's very similar in that vein. Like I said, it reminds me of the old Looney Tunes, you know, Fricka Fracka Fire, Cracker Sis, Boom Ba, Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny, Ra Ra Ra. That's not Looney Tunes originally. Yes, it, yes, it was. Well, no, but that version that I sang. This was, is like one of those Istanbul, not Constantinople things. It, it, you're you're drawing it from something it's not from. Oh dear lord. No, that those lyrics are exactly from a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I have no, it on but VHS. it wasn't originally from. No, there. of course not. But I'm just saying that's what it what, reminds me of. What, you mean they of. didn't invent that? No, they didn't invent that. Looney Tunes stole from other things? <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Next thing you're going to tell me is that the things that happened in Looney Tunes didn't really happen in the real world. Wow, he's he's, well, he's well, taking over incredulous voice. I'm impressed. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I would like to point out, it's usually my rabbit thing. season and duck season are not mutually exclusive. So the next track is... <laughs> so, yeah. I, I've Acme was a supermarket, though. Yeah, but they didn't actually have everything. They were not. And the they didn't catalog. sell rockets. I don't know. They went out of business before I could check. Point is, <laughs> there is actually I have something to support you here, Joe. Earlier on, this uh, not just. I mean, granted, I was one who first proposed this whole satire thing, but granted, 
I, I think it's a lot more simplistic than just that. It's really just, yeah, it's making fun of the concept of the victory song, of the, uh, of the, uh, what we had earlier, the, the, the sea shanty, that kind of thing. It's all of these individual facets of the culture. If you see that as part of the culture, I don't know. The yeah. culture of victory, what is that? I don't know. But it's the kind of things that you would otherwise celebrate or you would otherwise sing and gather round on. And one thing I noticed in this track, which does not occur too much uh, in this album in general, is the fact that he actually stops singing at a certain moment and he starts speaking. It's that speech-like singing that I think uh, John Wee encountered back in, I think it was Arc Iris or something like that, that, that Sprechesang singing or... or singing as if to speak or speaking as if to sing which is the notes yeah yeah that's exactly what it was and yeah. that is something that is I was wondering, yes. where you the, cad- the cadence is it, it was an old operatic term yeah. but you know uh, applying to this for for lack of a better term it's it's basically just reducing it and talking really matter of factly but it comes right out of the verse itself all of a sudden he's singing and then in that same exact phrase it just sort of uh, teeters off at the end. I believe at the moment here that it occurred was, you take me down, I'll learn from that, return the favor and pick up your hat. And in this particular case, it really was said just like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't often sing in the podcast. We never sing in the podcast, but well, yes, I it was actually I sing spoken. quite often, but it's never good. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and that was... The, it was the, an the interesting whole, moment, The whole thing actually. was, that's, that was great. The actual infusion of the rock and roll was great. I just, for me, I couldn't get over the simplicity of the lyrics themselves. Which is why I think it is satire. Because yeah. it is so simple. Like That's what, that's pretty much my justification. I think you're it attributing was... a lot of satire where there isn't any. I think this one, actually no, I think this is the only place where they actually full on was like, Satire! Up yours. That I, I'm I'm inclined to agree. And I mean, to be honest, I think in those cases it tends to work because yeah. in those cases then you can kind of forget about like victory. Well, I don't think there's much meaning to this well, track. You, no, you can actually just pull back then and and not be a cold-hearted curmudgeon and say this is fun, which I did have fun during this track. Granted, there's not too many strong ones here for me in the end part of this album, but this was a a, a nice up pick me up. Especially the bagpipe solo, which I have other things to say on in a minute. Which Which, I wish they kept playing. Another one of those. uh, (laughs) Penny flute, flute, bagpipe. Penny whistle, penny penny whistle. Excuse me, excuse me. (laughs) Penny whistle, bagpipe. And the main singer is all the same individual. It's all very... Oh, that's sad, the bagpipes. (laughs) Keep going. It would have been perfect if they kept going with it. All right, fine. Since we're talking about it now, I'll say it now. (laughs) They should kept going with it? But my experience with this bagpipe was when it happened, I I had two reactions. I both didn't expect it and also really expected it at the same time. Because it's also another form of satire. When in this album did you think you weren't going to get a bagpipe appear at some point? You've had every other instrument in the genre, why not? I find that stereotypical and racist. Well, (laughs) that's how I feel good, sir. Aren't bagpipes Scottish? Celtic, Celtic, Celtic in oh, yeah, Scottish, no, the I Scottish know. culture is also Celtic. Uh, no, I yeah. know, I know. Um, they crossed the Isle of Man. Okay, no, it's no, not very I far. I think that the bagpipes. Yeah, I agree with Steve that there was just this kind of moment of bagpipes. Oh yeah, bagpipes. Exactly. Well, <laughs> exactly. That, that exact moment. <laughs> you know, it was way to go, Barry Privet. It's, yeah. it's literally both bagpipes. Oh, bagpipes. bagpipes. But, yeah. but he's kind of accepted. Good yeah, grace. that's the whole thing. You can just accept it because yes, it is. It it is something new, but it's okay because it's supposed to be there. Maybe yeah. it well, should be on this of, album. I mean, 
remember that a lot. One of the things that a lot of people love about Irish and Celtic music is that there it's rife with jokes, innuendo, things like this. And for me, all the other songs were fun. This is the first. One, this and the Fox and the Hare are the only ones like, ta-da! Yeah. You know. And if you actually really think about it, that's kind of the musical interpretation of the same type of joke and innuendo. It's just exactly. like that thing that you didn't expect would come out of a song, well, we just did it. They have a way of connecting with the audience, as they do on the live setting, so, yeah, that does cross over to the I album. I really want to see these guys live. That would be, I think, a lot of fun for a yeah. live show. Lots of dancing and craziness. Carbon Leaf, come to New York, please. Speaking of dancing, we have track... Ten. Okay, I need, to tell the, I need to tell this story. Okay. <laughs> tell it. Cause, so we're looking at this. Is like, how do we even pronounce so it? So the, the title is Amra. clearly Gaelic. Yes. And Gaelic or is Irish. difficult. Gaelic or Irish. But it clearly doesn't look simple to pronounce. So we're looking for translation. While looking for translation, we're listening to the song. It's like, we're talking about how, you know, it's, it's great, blah, 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 fun to dance to. It's, it feels like a maple jam dance song. song. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as he says that, I pull up the translate, and it says, Amran Damsa, dance, dance song. song. More satire. There's no <laughs> way it's an accident that they chose the Irish or Celtic yeah. or, or Gaelic for dance song as dance song and made a dance song. I don't but, think it's satire. I think they just figured, oh, that's what it is. That's not satire. That is that's, satire. No, no. satire. That's just I agree. In this case, I agree with John. This is another. Honesty. This is fun. This is Done. pure honesty. What are we gonna name it? Have fun. Let's have fun. Done. I agree. Okay, then in that case, I imply that whenever, whenever an artist who otherwise has very serious things to say all of a sudden decides to pull from that and make something just so, then there is inherent satire within that fun. Well, I think there's inherent satire in the Irish culture. Yes. So maybe. Maybe. But in this case, but then I don't that's, feel... All right, well, now you get meta, because in that case, that's satire within a culture that is embodied or defined by satire? Is that what you're claiming? Well, have you been to Ireland? No, but I hear things. Well, <laughs> people come back with the greatest of stories. Let's exactly, my point. Back. Let's bring it back to the music. You gotta remember, this in and of itself, nothing here except for oi is just just serious. Because just that's not really how yeah. the music is. All right, right. I take your point in that regard. Nothing is so. So it, don't say so... yeah. It's a serious artist coming back and doing something like this. But it's not a serious artist. This is this is obviously isn't. This mm. is an artist with a, a love for life that the, the whole band just loves life a little bit too much. That's why they make this music. No such thing. Yeah. Amen. Um, you can Amen never love life that. too much. Amen. Um, All right, that's fair enough. No, no. Well, the only track that I think is, is very serious is Oi. And that's that moment of candor uh, that just gets a little bit too scary. Cause... To this point, yes. I think later yeah. on. We still have a few more tracks to discuss. Um, but Amran Damsa is great as a... I think, Like you said, Maypole Dance. This is another one of those jam tracks, and I, I just adore it's, it. But it's more intricate it, than the last jam track, and yes. it's much more festive. It's obviously danceable. And it doesn't do the... the I could easily see expose. the song played at the Ren Fair while people danced around to it. And it's not, it's not just a statement of the different instruments or anything like that. This is just... This is more about the cohesion of the individuals as opposed to an exposition of the individuals. Um, I think the individual does get a longer span of time in this track before trading off to the next person. And it sort of does have a drive to it because of those constant cues, but yet not overlapped cues. 
then again, when you factor that in with the two other instrumentals, I would personally put this second. It's yes. definitely more intricate than the previous, but mm, so far nothing is quite as as uh, out there as the first. As, as Ghost, Ghost, Dragon. As Ghost Dragon. Well, here's the thing for, for me. What I in Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle, I kind of got the idea of featured solos. This one, they have such a wonderful blend and uh, and you know community feel to this song that when a when a piece is featured when a, an instrument is featured it almost organically grows out and then fades right back in very naturally and i love that that that's hmm, what actually, i was getting at that's exactly what i, I had was getting at. i had personally interpreted something almost to that exact opposite that's what i got out of ghost dragon whereas here i felt it was more it was more like a cue it was more like uh not so much that you are done now i will take over but i felt this I felt a little bit more of a lack of cohesion. Not that I wasn't in, engrossed when an instrument was playing, but I don't know. Cohesion was the only little problem I had with this. Which, in which case, Ghost Dragon. Yeah, just but takes cohesion the cake. was out the window for me because it was this song's purpose is to be fun and entertaining. Everything else was kind of out the window, and I, and it doesn't make your complaints any less valid. I'm just saying, for me, I got wrapped, I got swept up in the festive nature of this track, and so I was able I just to ignore. Dance. And yeah, pretty much. You know, it's the same kind of the same logic I used for uh, you know a few Daft Punk songs when we talked about that album way back. It's the idea that it's become a bit more about the fun and the dancing than the quality. That doesn't forgive quality notes here and there. It just means I didn't really care that much. And of those quality notes, I have the minorest of critiques, but it's important to me. And I, I really think the, the flute track could have used a little bit more space in its recording. The flute? Wow, was that is a minor whistle? complaint. Yes. So minor, whistle. we're going to move on. The penny whistle <laughs> could have used more verb. It's my right? instrument, man. You better start respecting it. Of more verb. It is a woodwind, right? Yes. 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 Well, I'm asking. I would like close to there. I had to think about that one for a minute. I haven't thought about the actual yeah. instrument yeah. families in like ever fifteen years. Oh, of <laughs> I tried to periodically remind them of it <laughs> throughout this. Which one does so, the yes, drum belong yes, in? It is. All right. <laughs> All right. So sad and alone. Track eleven. So this song. So the, the my biggest problem with the tail end of the record is that they're hitting cliches, but in unique ways. That dancing song that we got, the the, uh, the dance song, because I'm not calling it by the other name because I can't pronounce it, was a dance song. It was very predictable, but very entertaining. This Sad and Alone also face value exactly what it, so it sounds like. It's a sad song about being sad and alone. It's a very swooning sad song that that kind of, you know, it's that, that reflective swaying kind of flowing while song drunk. while drunk yeah well that's the whole thing the previous track is the heavy drinking this is the aftermath of it um it is it is repetitive and circling and slurry and disjointed like the tail end of a bender but that's also part of its character and joy because... Uh, oh, no, those are positives. Yeah. Those are actually positives. <laughs> that's what makes it si something you can sing along to. You yes. Know? Well, well and also... And, uh, isn't no. that what makes it not something you can sing along when to? When you're smashed out of your mind, the repetitiveness is all that matters. But that's it's the circling, ambling nature of it that makes it a little bit hard to follow in that state. Well, that's the actual story of the song. The, car the uh, chorus. The lyrics are very easy to follow. Yeah. I feel, and and also, they have very clear beginning and beginnings and endings. And if there's yeah, anything I know true. about Irish drinking songs, it's that they are very repetitive because yeah. the idea is to sing along. Yeah. Well, if you have the same chorus over and over and over and over and over again, and you remember person. it. 
and then you just have the one person standing up doing a verse and then yeah. the next person stands up does a verse that's and this how these is, songs get to be like 30 verses 40 verses this is exactly that this is a deconstructed sad uh, drinking song and it besides the fact that it really does have a, a little bit too much repetition maybe of the eh, phrase sad and alone <laughs> specifically it does have it, it still has that kind of uh, angry wit yes that you would associate it with agreed uh, especially with one, two, three beers, and I love the way this actual phrase starts with a real like, heavy cutoff of all the instruments. Just the one, two, three beers, I'm through. Four, five, don't need to drive. Six, seven, seven, eleven is right around the corner. There's no need to cry. Just the, the mental process that's going through here is very well done. Mm-hmm. Of the, you know, I could use another six pack. But you know what's honestly one of the things that strikes me most about this song? There's a sentimentality to it that, you know, yeah, sometimes you do need to just be sad and alone. You don't want everyone to constantly fix all your problems. You, sometimes you just need to be like, screw everything, get me a six-pack, I'm downing that, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and be sad. Yeah. Well, and a few it's... hours later, you know, once you wake up with your hangover, that your head clears, and it's like, all right, I'm back on to my day. Yeah, you can come out of it. Yeah, no, the idea that... Cope, coping comes with understanding, reflection, and, mm-hmm. and, and the ability to move on. I would also argue immersion. And immersion. Yeah, well, we, yeah. we as a you culture want to fix you these can't problems move very past, quickly. You can't move past a sad situation without fully immersing yourself in it first. You cannot heal from feelings you deny. Period. That's fact. And if that's you a, don't that's... accept the feelings, you will never learn and heal from them. That's something I the want, Irish I understand very well, I once heard that as, well, a general, as, a, as a general um, observation of American culture that very frequently we're, we're criticized, or if not just noted to be a culture where we're not free to be sad or allowed mm-hmm. to be sad in well, public. You always have to put on this positive air. Yeah. Um, where, where this kind of thing would otherwise be frowned upon, you know, well, the person I mean, sitting there alone getting drunk. You can be positive and still be sad, but I understand what you're saying. This idea that... Well, it, it was something I actually read in a study yeah. of, like, American culture and also um, ex, uh, expatriates' experience when they're staying in America. Mm-hmm. Like, just having come from their culture where, like, for instance, Russians experience this a lot because it's for them it's the almost the antithesis. They don't want to hear anything positive because then that would sort of be trying to overstate yourself, yeah. you know, and then over here it's, the, it's you know, always... Pro, pro, Project your 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 most out there self, your most affluent self, your most social, your most pretty much just everything positive you have to say about yourself, and that's how you progress in society. I don't know. It was a study I read. It was actually very fascinating. This one, this one actually does give you that permission you need to be sad, especially when it takes that that uh, chorus and that first chorus is kind of sh- short by comparison because in the second chorus it gets really rambly, and it's. Raise a glass high to me, myself, and I. And then it goes into one of my favorite parts. And drink yourself silly, a toast of self-pity. Sometimes you feel shitty. Yeah, real itty-bitty. So just sing this here ditty a song for yourself. Like, he forgot to rhyme that part. I love that. That he forgot to rhyme that part. It just it completely that train of thought. And then he starts repeating himself. It gives the song character. Yeah, yeah it's 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 very well thought out lyrically like the phrasing they knew what they were going for this is the sort of song you have to kind of write drunk it's not Mm. it's not accidentally yeah yeah and it's i mean this is also something that is uh very uh 
very, uh, I guess, taunted in, um, in Irish culture is the response to tragedy is have a beer. Yeah. You know, have a, have a shot and not like, let me make you feel better, but it's like, get it out. Yeah. You're sad. Yeah. Be sad. Yeah. Here. Here's, be sad with here's this. Here's a drink. Don't this, forget. This will help your sad. Things, yeah, yeah I, I've, uh, I mean, there's a, a kind of a trope going around that Irish will, at your wake, just make fun of you and say how bad of a person you are or something like that. But it's it's part of that grieving That's process. That's how they show how much they love you. Yes, exactly. The it's night that Patty being, Murphy died. <laughs> it's being so mean or depressed or so sad that you really show that this person was able to make you feel Mm-hmm. So angry, so depressed, so sad that it was worth it. Yep. It's an interesting spin on the whole misery loves company thing because this actually disproves that and says, no, misery loves beer. Well, uh, and company with which to share said misery because that's, yeah, that's there's definitely still a, what this there's is. There's definitely a, a sense of sharing and like you can be sad and I'm going to sit next to you. I'm not going to try and make you feel better. I'll be the company you need. I'm just going to be sad about my thing. And you can be sad about your thing. And sometimes you don't want that company. Sometimes you want to be sad and alone. That's, but yeah. So there is no company in this particular track. That's what I kind of like about it. Um, We now move on from sad and alone to another sad song. Our final track on the record, track 12. The Road is Breaking My Heart. Um, This song is an anomaly on the record. Um, It's the only track that's solo acoustic just the singer it's got a hollow demo kind of sound it essentially sounds like an indie rock track from the mid 90s almost to a t see what i like what i think of this song actually i i get this idea in my head that what was happening when carbon leaf was recording was they actually took this song and it was meant to be the hidden track that barry had recorded at the very end of the session uh you know it's that song that you play for the bartender just at the end of the night just before you're about to hit the road again and I, th- I get the feeling like this was meant to be that 10 minute long last track. And you know, the song, f- your last track finishes, and then you got 10 minutes of space, and then this song comes on. Mm. You know, that it's like, that's what I feel like this was supposed to be. But with this one, with uh, Ghost Dragon Attacks Castle, the album, uh, they wanted to include solo ver- uh, single versions of Donnybrook Affair and of uh, Bloody Good Bar Fight Song, because those are two such amazing, rousing songs. And so I think it was just a matter of, well, I guess we'll just, you know, cut each track, put them together, and this is the actual end of the album um, at Sad and Alone. The Road is Breaking My Heart is actually your hidden track, and those two solos, uh, uh, singles come at the end to, you know, because everyone's going to want them. And I find this to be a great finale because in the story that's being built here for me, obviously, (laughs) only me, this is... This is 4.15, the bars are closed, you have to make your way home. That's why the power is gone, that's why it's a very singular in style, a very lonely in style. That's why you don't get, you know, a lot of complication. It's one man walking down the street. I mean, the imagery is there for that, just in the style mm-hmm. it's being built. Uh, just the fact that it is kind of a tinny background, back alley, acoustic track. Well, that's it's why... very underproduced. Well, that's why I said Oi was possibly the most emotional track because I feel like there's a lot of inherent emotion in this track just in its presentation alone and from the title to the quality to the lyrics it's a very well, much a sad lonely song let's face it in another context we, we might view this as one of the you know we we probably would be overstating this a little bit more but in the, the context of this album we have some little trouble connecting it 
uh, which is why I think for me probably Oi is one of the most powerful because in context of the album it, it, it's more appropriate as as the most appropriate track. I actually disagree I find this one perfectly situated in the album and I think that it's the way that it's deconstructed down to just the just a uh, acoustic guitar is and has that tinny sound that that open space sound to the track is what I love because that's where you actually get the the freedom to express vocally that raw emotion of this is my life and I, I can't stand it but I'll die before I show it my tears. Yeah, I'm, and I'm it's more like on that's bo- not something you can get out with you know within a small space with people crowded all around. You need that ability to just let your voice go into an open space and not have to worry about it. Yeah, I'm more on board with Joe. I mean, I I think this really is the most powerful. Is my claim. I'm only saying in album context, and I it is. I don't know. I don't see that connection that you do to the rest of the album personally, because the rest of the album, remember, still is very varied. Well, that's it. Just it's the theme that I see here. It's the story that I see here, where I see this as the after hours. As a song when everything else has ended in this album. When you finally sobered sto- up and now you can be sad without the beer to aid it. Exactly. This is this is that part where the party is over. This is the aftermath. This is the part where you're coping. Hmm. Or just trying to make it home. Forget about coping at this point. The, 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 the whole idea of I will let the road kill me before I show the emotions I'm feeling. Well, is, I mean... I'll be honest, it had the best melodies in the entire album. But and I, I agree with you that He this... sung them with the most uh with the most passion, I think. Yes. Than any other track That's in this album. That's why I feel that powerfulness because of the way the lead singer is conveying those emotions. To be fair, I had singing. I had that problem a little bit earlier on in, in many other tracks where I felt like his his voice wasn't quite the register was just not carrying over into fully believing every single verse. It sounded more like speech over singing, and yet, and yet here that wasn't present at all. Right, because it was just him and a guitar. Yeah. And uh, the only argument I would make to say why Oi is just a more gripping track for me is that it's it's that level of imagery I found in Oi that I just don't find here in the words themselves. Because all things being equal, if you're saying the the music is being as good or if the vocals are being as good it's just always just got that level in the actual lyrics themselves that really sets it apart for me from the road is breaking my heart yet this is not by any means a kind of like simple or unimaginative song it's it's just the the personification here of him versus the world which is kind of being developed it, it does reach a sense of conclusion when he kind of realizes, well, there is a future here. In the last verse, it's, the road is breaking my heart, but isn't it breaking them all? The travel must be worth the trip before we sputter and stammer and fall. There is a conclusion towards the end of this track that does give you a little bit of hope. While Oi is pure downtrodden misery, and it's just so emotional because of that. Well, we're talking a lot about com- uh, comparing Oi and The Road is Breaking My Heart, and actually that's uh, that's the thing I most disagree with. I don't think these two songs have any comparison between them besides being sad. 
Um, yeah. For me, although you know what it is, just emotional impact. They hit totally different things for me. The emotional impact of Oi is personal. Um, it's a heart. Uh, the road is breaking my heart. Is almost is a bit meta, and it's a little bit you know, it's a little bit larger than just love. Well, I'll tell you why I compare them, and that's not because of the content. It's the fact that they did something for me emotionally. The rest are, to my ears, fun. Mm-hmm. That that's that's not so much the same emotional level. So yes, when you say the only there are only similarities, the fact that they're sad, it's important to me. It's important not just because I find emotion in things that are sad, but it just so happened that when they do sad, they do it really, really well. I think they do everything really, really well. They Fair do the enough. fun stuff real good. Fun stuff is good. It's just every once in a while I need more quirks in the fun stuff and whatnot because you do have to avoid becoming one in the pa- one of the pack, and um, I don't know certain songs they fall behind. I think this is a good place to to start off with our uh, with our reviews, with our right. final. Would you like to go first or not particularly? Okay. <laughs> um, I guess Sean will then. I'll go. I kind of wish I'd I'd found Carbon Leaf years ago. Like so many things. Joe is brought to me personally mm-hmm. on a musical level. <laughs> uh, this is the second time on the show. <laughs> yes, but he. Uh, the Walk sec- off the earth. Steam powered giraffe. Oh, John's frequented Nerdyoki, which, you know, yeah, is where is a, we find Joe. Third- we don't only see Joe on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You see me yes. every Sunday. Oh, you could if you come by. Well, if I stop working Sundays, I would. <laughs> that, was, that was that was a what? sad pitch. <laughs> no, I finally stopped working Sundays. That's why I started showing up again. We also go later now. It's 10 to 2. Oh, no. 10 to 2 at the way station. That's a pitch. <laughs> um, That's a proper pitch. I kind of wish I knew these guys beforehand, because I would have liked to see this evolution. Uh, even if they had started off at the, the little bit of taste that we got before this review, of a little more poppy, it would have definitely fit my taste for the 90s. Yeah. Uh, for what they were producing. I mean, it, it would. I would have definitely seen them as an opener for so many other bands. And the they time. were. Yeah. Um... It's it. I'm. I don't know. I'm just seeing something here thematically that lets me forgive a little bit of of what I was originally not enjoying, which was the fact that I kind of thought the road is breaking my heart. Um, and sad and alone felt a little bit separate musically, and even I love victory. Just they felt a little bit divergent from what the earlier part of the album was. But I. I definitely accept them a lot more uh, now that I do see they they kind of have a place in in what is in this album. I think that there is a severe theme here that there is not just an arc but a real theme of a story of a of a one night bender here starting in, at the party getting to the party talk to your friends starting your beers, getting over the girl that just broke up with you, and then finding someone else to short-term replace it, and then realizing, well, there's still stuff to deal with. It's actually a personal experience I've had before with women. I might be projecting. I kind (laughs) of don't think I am, though. Um, But for that, everything was fun. That's the thing. Everything was fun. Even the stuff that was kind of like, I kind of heard it before, or I kind of expected. I mean, it's good they're musicians they're very talented musicians mm-hmm. um there's really nothing here besides maybe i love victory that lyrically i have for complaints i mean some of it's deeper than others but they're they're very good at writing stuff 
there's a lot of positive here. Uh, and Oli is just, it, it touches me. Like, first time I heard it, it touched me in such a way that was really... Five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it touches you. Sorry. Yes, it does. In a, in a very, very deep, touching way. Um, it's... It's so Now, when he struggles, he's, he likes it. That's okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you, guys. You're Welcome trying to make everybody. a sentimental point, too, and we're Thanks. just totally we're bowling it over. <laughs> okay. Now it's... you know what it feels like. <laughs> I don't do that on air. I don't do it on air. Anyway, uh, your point. Make it. <laughs> it's you, a, do you do fart sounds again? I'm sorry. Shush. It's a four and a quarter. It really is over a four star. This is a really solid album. This is definitely something that I would listen through complete, which is what would really put it over just a standard like three, five to four star. I mean, the fact that I feel like a cohesive product has been produced here is what really sets it apart and, 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 and makes it good for me. Um, do you want to go next, Steve? Yeah. Matt's still decided. <laughs> no, I've decided, but Steve seemed to have something to express when you were explaining. Well, it made me consider a couple things. Um, alright, here's my thing. I will admit that as I look into the theme here, it, uh, it is a little bit more varied than I thought. And I am considering, I'm definitely entertaining your concept, John. I think it's there. At the same time, I'm also entertaining Joe's concept here. I think, I think you all sort of want to attribute a theme to this. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm not accustomed to building themes to this brand of music. Because so often in my experience, the music is segmented. It usually is very confined stories that exist in their own right and... What you take from it is what you take from that song alone. And then when you move on to the next, and that's another stage. It's a whole other facet of their life and their career and their observations, which can be satirical, although I never, I never thought to use that term for it until today. But often their fun, lighthearted takes on life. A slice of life, you know, in, in the Irish way. But I think I really have to go uh, the Matt route on this one. I think I kind of need to look at the emotional draw for this album for me, which does boil down to those two songs, which is why I chose them as points for comparison, which in the end, you're right, comparison. I mean, comparison, comparing them is, <laughs> is, is pointless. Who's having trouble with words now? I mean, I like it. Well, who knows? I'm not done yet. <laughs> Oi and and a broken and the road, road is road, broken. The road is broken. <laughs> All right, those two tracks, they're important. They are very important to this album. They're very important for me. And I hate going this route, but it is. I mean, it is the mount route. You said it before. Tracks that you would put on a playlist for interest. I, I might, I might consider that for these two. I don't know. When I look at the fun tracks. They are fun, and they serve a purpose, but I do sometimes think I can get them elsewhere. These guys are very talented, and I like their, their instrumentals, and the instrumentals might belong on a separate playlist, who knows, but there's something about a lack of musical cohesion on this album. I know that seems very strange, considering that front to back, yeah, sure, it, in general, it's, it's got the same mood, it's got the right genre, I think I'm looking for some little it factor here. Some it factor that binds this 
album together in not just their genre, but their style, their mark, their trademark. That's something that I'm missing a little bit. It's, it's, it's an indefinable sound. Something that ties together just the fact that they play their instruments well and have really, really tasteful uh, work-off solos and things like that. There's something there that, that is just, I don't know, it's missing, and it's really tough for me to describe that, except to say that uh, that in the beginning half of this, I heard it. And from the middle to the last half of it, I don't think satire, as we're now calling it, is quite enough for me to hold it together. Um, at that point, it seems like they sort of shaved off a little bit of their their individuality to, even in their way of stating these various statements in a, in a convoluted, segmented way, they were just, they fell off somewhere. That they, they, de, they de-individualized themselves for me by doing that. So I, I got to put it down in the three range, but not far down in the three range. It, it's a three, seven, five for me. Okay. I'll, I'll attack this next and give Joe the last slot as we often do with the guests. Oh, you guys. As we always um, do with the guests. <laughs> um, so we are testy I, today. I, yeah, I had not I had not heard Carbon Leaf before this. Um, this is my first experience with them, and I actually have actively said on social media, either I think on Crash Chords or through my personal page, that I'm actually actively looking for more folk music. Not because I don't like folk music. I just for whatever reason my iPod is short on folk, so I've been kind of actively looking for a lot of it. So this will easily make it onto my iPod. Um, on the whole, I really love the record. I think that the fun moments are fun enough that I can forgive some of the flaws, and the the poignant moments are poignant enough that it really gets to me. Um, the problem with pure fun tracks is that there is a lack of emotional connection in places there are holes. Other than fun, which is, fun is an emotion unto itself, but kind of more of an empty, more effervescent, fleeting emotion. Not to say there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I do get emotional connection from other tracks besides Oi and The Road is Breaking My Heart. I get a strong emotional connection to Ghost Dragon. It draw, Ghost Dragon attacks Castle. The movement it goes through, the instrumentation, it really takes me on a ride. It gets my heart pumping, and I really did connect with that track. She's Gone for Good this time also I connected with. Most, even though it's a lighter side of it, I've been with someone who I wanted to disappear and wouldn't go away. So, therefore, it's kind of, you know, it reminds me of that. But I can laugh on it now because I'm past that. I'm in a great place in my life. I'm happier than I've ever been. So I can laugh and look back on places like that where I was miserable and couldn't get out. Um, you know, the, the a song for the sea. Honestly, that's more of a greedy personal reason that that song fills me with joy. I love Down Easter Alexa. It's probably in my top five Billy Joel songs and probably my top 10 songs of all time. Just because it's one of those songs that I really connected with, even though I don't know shit about fishing or being a fisherman, especially on those large scale boats, um, like like both of these kinds of songs sing about or give the impression of. I know a bit. My dad was a fisherman. I don't care. But, you know, I was just, oh no, I actually upset John. I'm going to punch you after the show. <laughs> T- 
tell us a little bit about how your father was a fisherman. He was a fisherman in Alaska doing salmon. Was he really? Yeah, really. Oh, okay. I thought you were just being no, you. No, no. That's, that's for realsies. Oh, <laughs> for realsies? Yeah, every summer. Wow. When he was like 16. You get pillows. Wow. Oh, there you go. Um, but I really did connect with a lot on this song. On this album, rather. The only songs that really left me wanting were uh, February Details and The Fox and the Hare. I just... I didn't really actually feel as emotionally disconnected as Steve did. That said, this, it boosts this album up a little higher for me. I don't know that I could tout it as much as John does. I think I'm still looking for more. And honestly, when it comes to music like this, if I want to be on the less folkier, more ro- harder rock side of it, I would go for Flogging Molly. But if I want something leaning more towards folk, I would turn to Carbon Leaf. And the taste we got of their earlier stuff lends me to believe their earlier stuff is more 90s kind of Irish rock, which is a mix of stuff that I would actually have looked for in high school. So again, I may go back and check that out. Um, so overall, this this album for me is a solid four. Stoic out of four. Um, you know, I think that if the instrumental tracks were more more exciting or engaging like the first one was, it would have really pulled this album together. And with kind of very vapid tracks like The Fox and the Hare and Victory, I, I know Victory is supposed to be, but that's just like when we reviewed the Katy Perry record and she made that song that's obviously dissing on Kesha, it still sounded like a Kesha song. So I still had to suffer through that, realistically. So it's the same idea. Yes, I, I Love Victory is satirical, but I don't really like the songs it's kind of ripping on. So, therefore, I thought it was okay. I have, I have one argument for the instrumentals. Okay. That's the time lapse of drinking. Don't... Okay, great. It, it's an explanation. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't fix anything. It's an explanation, sure, but I still don't connect with well, them I that think, much. No, that's why I think that there's such a uh, storyline change between each of them. Oh, yeah, but that's fine. My... my, my my issue with the instrumental tracks was that they didn't engage me the way the first one did. It had nothing to do with what it did to the story. Um, I want to get you good whiskey, and then we're going to sit down and listen to this. I'm tempted to like ask on challenge. air what you consider is a good whiskey. Sounds, actually, I do want to know. What do you consider good whiskey? Oh, i got to raid my brother's uh, pantry. <laughs> Actually, he's got. Uh, I'll tell you straight out, of, I'm a Scots person, but maybe that wouldn't be. He's got. He's got a couple of scotches that are like thirty plus years and yeah. stuff like that that he hides away from me. McCallum anyway, eighteen. Uh, overall, 18. it's a four. I think that I, I'm excited to hear the newer stuff because they actually have a, an album newer than this. Which they have like, two of them, two new albums. Yeah. So I'm going to go check those out. Um, Joe, why don't you tell us where your review stands for this record? Oh right. Um, well. I obviously brought Carbon Leaf to the show, so uh, I do really, really enjoy Carbon Leaf, as you've heard me touting the entire show. Um, this is one of my uh, fa- this is my favorite uh, Carbon Leaf album um, that I've heard so far. I haven't heard the newest two yet. Um, the other ones I really enjoy most of the songs on them. This one's my fa- uh, fi- my favorite by far because of its um, heavier emphasis on the Celtic uh, style. Um, there are several songs I adore. I love to sing along to. Um, we're I love Donny Brook Affair so much. I decided we need to do a song like that. That sounds so great as a traditional reel that we got to do that for Rascals and Rogues. And I can't wait to see what we get to play with and how we get to do it. Especially since we don't have the fiddle. Got to figure out how to fix that. Uh, so that you know, 
and that's part of the, the joy of Celtic music for me is the versatility of it and how you can play with it. And Carbon Leaf does. Like I said, I feel like they are a band that has this massive toolbox, and they know how to use every one of those tools, when to use it. It's uh, it's a skill that many bands don't have because they're going for that flashpoint of like inundating the listener with everything they got. Uh, I think Carbon Leaf knows the difference. They know how to pick and choose when to use what. And, uh, you know, we were talking about there are some points where we'd like to hear more. Like, we would have liked to have heard the Penny Whistle uh, finish out on uh, that one song. I think it was um, <coughs> she's Gone. The, the airier Penny Whistle. The airier yes. Penny Whistle. Yep. <laughs> um, one part. <laughs> yes. I like, and the bagpipes. I like the fact that um, they play with different uh, different modes, different keys. Um, you, we were making a joke uh, in the uh, the song you may get to hear later, the Irish lad who plays an F uh, that I performed earlier today for you guys. Um, and then we make the joke that um, in in Ireland they have songs in D, songs in C, and songs in G. Or at least that's what it translates for Penny Whistle. Um, but these are the traditional modes that you get to play in the Celtic music. Carbon Leaf likes to play around with that a little bit, and I enjoy that. Fun fact, they were in G and D, and I believe I heard E as well. I did not hear C, but I may have missed it. I know I can play. E. I can play. St- I play Penny Whistle. I practice my Penny Whistling while I'm listening to these songs and just, you know, improving on top of stuff. My ah. C Whistle, my D Whistle, my G Whistle, never my F Whistle, though. So, however that works. I've never had a lecture that long, which wasn't even that long of a lecture, but on penny whistles in general. So yeah, Props. Oh, I, I penny whistle is the one instrument I've ever picked up and actually had enough interest to uh, and passion to keep with. I've been trying to learn guitar for the last seven years, and I still can't strum more than two chords. Passion <laughs> for the penny whistle. Passion for the penny whistle. Go figure. I don't know why, but I adore it. Um, back to esoterica. Stop about. interrupting his review. <laughs> Hush. <laughs> uh, back to Carbon Leaf. Um, I just really enjoy. I love the instrumentals, especially. Um, those are those are all on a. Pl- I love how you mentioned playlists. Those are all on my um, a playlist of mine that I just put on in the back for background music when I'm you know working around the house, uh, doing uh, doing any of my um, freelancing work, anything like that. And it's great motivation work to hear you know hear those jams going on. Uh, the Really up songs like Bloody Good Bar Fight Song, Donnie Burke Affair, just rousing, get your blood pumping. I love them. Um, Oi is actually on my uh, 2004 recollection playlist. Every every year I actually make a playlist of the year in review. And this is one of the, the chief uh, numbers on this year's review. Um, it's because it, it has struck such a chord with me both uh, in a personal way and as just such a, a wonderful, amazing song that I just absolutely adore. Um, I actually rather like the fox in the hair because it's just kind of silly. Victory is amazing. Just <laughs> I love the tongue-in-cheek, but it's still saying, yeah, rah, rah, siskumba. I dig it. Um, and then Sad and Alone uh, is just really kind of a fun way of looking at that feeling of utter despair. And then the road is breaking my heart. It's just that wonderful moment of complete and utter catharsis of letting everything in your heart out. And I adore songs like that, especially when, you know, as we all do, you have those bad times and you have to get that out somewhere. Um, And I I rate this one at a 4.33. 
I got, oh, I gotta give no it. No one ever did that before. Yep, I gotta give it. I gotta give it a third of a star because it's like I don't want to give it a half a star because I don't. There are definitely that third act problem definitely causes me some some issues, um, and I it's not as tight as I'd like it in some places. So I don't want to give it a four point five, but it's definitely better than a four point two five in my mind. So four point three three. Okay. Sorry to be the curmudgeon over here. <laughs> you're That's not, why I figured I didn't want to. I'm you're not screwing that, with your not, averaging yeah. system. You're not that sorry. But well, but I'm only, wait. My, my only def- is it's not it's not so much a defense, just an explanation. Is that my I do tend to be harsher with um with 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 niche genres only yeah, because and you they, have been in the past. You're it, consistent it's, as I've with said your in, pre- in previous cases, they can get away with we, a lot. We're reviewing it consistent in a way, and yeah, you 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 have consistently reviewed more niche genres more harshly. So, like you're a curmudgeon or something like that. <laughs> anyway, the my overall statement I'm not sorry for the, at all. <laughs> my my overall statement for this album, though, on a, on my sliding more general scale, is go buy it because honestly, there's not enough of this kind of music that really does something with the genre and they do play with the genre enough that it's worth owning i i really even, think this is an album worth buying even the, the sad tracks even if you don't like to be sad and you don't want to listen to the sad tracks or those tracks that are i would honestly ripping, the fun is just fun i would i would yeah. easily rate this over more recent dropkick murphy's records just because their sound really hasn't changed that much the most recent one and, it was terrible and, and I, I really think that this is worth having in your collection, especially if you like Irish folk. I'm going to input something, though. i got to input something here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because, That's what he does. Well, just because you're, you're saying you know, that there's a lot, um, that there's not as much of this out there right now, I will say this. Even though I, I, I talk you know, somewhat negative about various, various uh, areas of pop out lately, mm-hmm. and, and believe it or not... Uh, Mumford and Sons yeah. was one of them because I thought that they had also persisted in the, in the tropes here and there right. and yet I heard lots of similarities between this and Mumford and Sons and I detected areas where this band does better and areas where Mumford and Sons does better and granted they are the poppiest of pop they've brought it beyond Celtic music to basically just encompass a little bit of indie a little bit of basically anything of what they need to do in right. order to be popular and yet I still hear sometimes more of a. I think they at least were popularized because of the the caliber of their or the caliber of the singer, some little it factor that popularized them. I think that's what this band would need, in my personal eye view, to kind of bump them up into the public eye, the and, general public. And eye. the difference is though, they're still together, so they might achieve that. Whereas Mumford's son has gone is on, not, an, of course, they have gone on an indefinite yeah. hiatus. Yeah. Who can predict any of that? So, crap? yeah, of course. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So, and this isn't their newest record, so there might be room for expansion. Who knows? If after we listen to their newest record at some point, they might yeah. have achieved that goal. So, we'll see. To be fair, as we just said, this is the first um, band, I mean, this is the first album that they've done in this style. So, yeah. maybe they're still experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in relation to the Celtic niche of this record that had more syllables than it needed, um, <laughs> I want to take some time now before we wrap up the podcast to talk to Joe a bit about something besides karaoke this time around. So, <laughs> so we did mention earlier that you do work for the Tuxedo Renaissance Fair. My first question is... Wait, I have a first question. No, because I I'm already asking question. my first no, question. No, I have a first question. I've been raising my hand. Oh, my Lord. Who is this friar... And what does he do? 
You mentioned a mad friar. The mad monk, Brother Dementus. Uh, My character this year um, is Brother Dementus, and uh, he is a monk on pilgrimage from his abbey. Um, He has has, uh, multiple personality disorder. Do you know what personalities you're giving him? I I haven't I you know as an actor I've actually been holding off from making any definite uh, decisions on my character. Um, one of the things we do at the Renaissance Fair is uh, as an actor you're given a um, we get a role that we're going to be playing and if we're basically given free, uh, license to create this character any way we wish to uh, within standard reason of course. Um, so when I was uh, told um, they want me to pref- uh, be this. Uh, Friar, or this brother, Brother Dementis, they're like, you go where you want to with this one. Uh, and we have our rehearsal periods, which are really just times for us to get together and, as actors, play with each other and play with our different ideas and try and figure out what kind of characters get flushed out. A little background, uh, behind-the-scenes information on how we create the magic. Well, the reasoning for that, and here's, here's, a, here's the actual series follow-up, is the fact that you're meant to interact with the populace mm-hmm. who shows up there. Yep. Which is significantly different from most other forms of acting. Yeah, everyone gets a script and you're on stage and there's a fourth wall. We don't have any of that. We are right up in... Our fourth wall is you. Yeah, it's the idea of role play. And you, you, you seriously play a role. Well, we don't want to just role play. We want these actors to come alive. Right. We want these characters to come alive. And that's, um, that's really one of the things that I think makes uh, the Renaissance Fair, uh, especially the New York Renaissance Fair, so wonderful, is that our characters, we, uh, we make sure that our characters, and we work very hard to make sure our characters, really are flushed out in every way possible. And uh, we're given where you have a wonderful staff that um, works with us all the way through, um, just helping us come up with different ideas, try out different things. They're very supportive. No idea is too crazy until you do it and you're like, that really doesn't work, does it? All right, maybe we should try something else. <laughs> and uh, believe me, we, we do that from time to time. Sometimes we just go ahead and do it for fun. Right. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's the most fun you can have, really. If you're very detailed on your characters, and I imagine you're very detailed-oriented, considering your monk is from an abbey, I could throw out a random question, like, say, how far is that abbey away? Oh, it's only about 45 miles. Uh, but um, here's the thing. I totally pulled that out of my ass. Wow. <laughs> Which is the wonderful thing about improv, because if you believe it and you flushed out a character enough, you can... That's, that's the joy of it. It's coming all at that very moment someone speaks and asks you that question. You're just... Coming up with the answer, and who knows if it's really there. Well, but once it's there, it's truth, and it's real, and you get to have so much fun with that. Because it's a common fact that 86% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, how long have you been working the Tuxedo Renaissance Fair? This will be my fourth fair with the New York Renaissance Fair in the last uh, seven years? My first year uh, fair was in uh, 09. Oh, okay. And uh, I took two, year off, two years off, six years, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. I uh, took two years off, uh, came back uh, to uh, play Master Robert Cecil, yes. who became um, a Lord uh, Treasurer, I think. It was three years ago. Or, yeah, three years ago. I don't remember now. Uh, but he's a, 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 um, a historical character from uh, Elizabethan England. Uh, and last year I had the joy and pleasure of playing Sir Walter Raleigh. I remember that. Wow. Uh, it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, 
There are great shots if you go to if you look Joe up online of great action shots from the chess match at the um, at the Renaissance Fair fighting. You fought Sword and Shield, didn't you? Uh, that was two years ago. It was Master Robert Cecil versus um, a great great partner Christian Sokor, who's actually uh, taken over for some fight direction on this uh, year. Oh, cool! Um, very talented guy, and you can actually find him on. He actually was just in a reality TV show that was just been, has just been announced. Uh-huh. He is in the quest. Uh, oh, I think it's cool. on ABC. Oh, yeah. yeah, coming up soon. So if you want to check out uh, the New York Renaissance Fair's most awesome fight director, or one of the most awesome fight directors, he'll be on uh, TV coming up soon. Um, but yeah, that fight came from uh, that year with him. So much fun. And and fighting and fight directing is another part of your repertoire as well. Uh, yes, I uh, I'm a state an actor combatant with the Society of American Fight Directors, and uh, I do that with at the Renaissance Fair. And I'm also a um, a more low, just beginning this part of my career as a uh, fight uh, fight consultant, fight choreographer, fight director. Um, it, it's kind of hard to actually peg down a name for it because um, a the skill level. I am certainly not um, on par with my maestros um, who have been teaching me for the uh, past years, and I'm certainly not as experienced as they are. So I can't. I don't. Uh, feel quite uh, bold enough to call myself a professional fight director, well, but I do have a. Uh, prof- I do this professionally, and I do. Uh, I do choreograph and um, help present effective and safe fights on stage. Is it institutionalized so much that uh, you you achieve some kind of uh, certificate that allows you to do such a thing for other people? Uh, yes and no, actually. The, um, the thing is with fight direction is that it's not very, er, with stage combat, is that it's not actually as well recognized in the theater world, in my point of view, um, as things such as dancing or, um, or you know, even stage management. All these, um, all these people have different groups that they work with, uh, different uh, groups to represent them, actors' equity, um, so on and so forth. The uh, Society of American Fight Directors is not quite as well incorporated as that um, to provide you know stipends and uh, you know protection for its members, but it is its main goal is to focus on how to enhance safe and effective um, violence on stage. Sounds like it would be in high demand. I mean, especially, absolutely, especially considering just the general mo- summer movies alone. Just summer movies alone. We'll take that for an example. Well, that's kind a of- number of them that are just built around choreographed fights. That's the funny thing is that they're so... I mean, violence and gore and sex, of course, sells, uh, sells uh, tickets. We specialize in creating that violence. Uh, and when you... You know, as many... Uh, as, many as everyone knows, the theater world is, you know, not the most well-funded. So if you're trying yeah. to save money and cut corners by not having a fight director on set, we have... Loads of horror stories of the peop of the injuries that happen that are you know, happen needlessly because someone who is who is able and skilled enough to stand there and say be careful when you do this it has to be done this way wasn't there. Plus, it's the added fact that your job is significantly more difficult than anybody who's being recorded doing this because well your your actual uh, viewing audience is right there. You don't have the benefit of things like CGI or. Takes. You have to get it right while they're watching every time. 
Well, yes and no, because there's still also the uh, ideas of, um, and when it comes to film, there's still the ideas of, you know, you're on a time schedule. Things can be thrown in at a, at a drop of a hat. Um, there's this one great story about Army of Darkness where the fights were choreographed so wonderfully, that big melee scene at the end. Yeah. And the scene guys came in and put a big bonfire right in the middle. And the fighters were, and they, it literally went, all right, bonfire set. All right, rolling. Three, two, one. And the actors, the fighters are all like, holy crap, that's right where I'm going. What the heck am I supposed to do? And they, and the cameras were rolling and they had to go. And they pulled off that entire scene. I, I actually have to go back and watch it again since I've heard that story. I want to like actually nitpick that one apart now. Because I just remember seeing it being like, yes, battle. You know, I don't know if you've had um, any experience in this so far, but I've heard that uh, the, the New York Opera is actually looking to sort of revitalize their institution because uh, what you said before about them not the theater world not being well-funded, apparently that's a big problem with an opera as well because mm -hmm. of how much money it takes to, to throw into an opera and they're just sort of questioning whether there's the demand today because it's just not a very popular art form where at one point it was the most. And... So what they're trying to do is they're trying to sort of revitalize it and not conduct them in the same way they used to conduct operas with all the written choreography that stems from 100, 150 years ago. They're trying to modernize it, trying to make it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more flashy, and I think a lot of that stuff offers similar types of stunts like what you just described. Yeah. So I actually am familiar with... Uh... They may very well have you in demand. I hope so someday. That would be wonderful. I actually know the uh, gentleman who's working with uh, them now, um, or who was working with them recently, uh, Nigel Poulton, who actually, uh, he's talked a lot about his, uh, his experience. Uh, he comes from Australia with the Society of Australian Fight Directors. He's a very, he's a brilliant guy. A lot of fun. And um, I had over, I had heard him talking at one point, or I think I had maybe read it in the uh, New York Times, about how he was taking those um, those tropes, so to speak, mm -hmm. or these uh, long existing, you know, typecast fights, mm -hmm. and um, using them, but also modernizing them. And so that's a lot of t a lot of times what the kind of creativity we're doing is we don't want to betray the idea of, in the spirit of opera. So we'll keep those things that you expect there, but we'll also do them in different ways. Yeah, it's something that I was always sort of a little bit on the fence on, but at the same time, you know, you do have to accept, can it really hold up? It's the first time, often, very often I, I claim when it comes to movies, you know, that people should, should really look back and not always expect everything to be modernized and that you need the new reimagination or reboot of this old great story. But then when you think about something opera, when it goes, it's dated so far back that maybe it really is out of touch. You want to make sure that the, mm -hmm. that the art form stays in touch with the common, otherwise you will lose the art form. Right, well the first form of stage combat was actually very standardized um, moves, and it was, you know, you'd call out like, this is the drunken fight, and it was the same five moves repeated as needed. Mm. Um, since then, obviously we've come a long way, um, and now the Society of American Fight Directors is here, in America at least, to promote that idea of creativity and also of, ta of taking a, uh, an active role in making sure people have these skills and, and abilities before they get on camera or on stage. Now, is this New York exclusive or is it uh, broad-based around America? The Society of American Fight Directors? Yes. It's a, uh, a national group. Uh, they're based in, um, Los in uh, Nevada. And we have different regions all over the place. Uh, New York is one of the larger centers, as would be expected, L.A. being the other one. Yeah. And actually, right now, is the, uh, uh, the National Workshop 
uh, where we have thousands upon thousands of fighters from across the nation get together in, um, in North Carolina and all train with different fight masters and fight directors and certified teachers from all across the nation. Wow. Um, and it's all a, a, um, a three-week intensive where they will test their skills, learn new things, and um, at the end of it, they uh, certify, or excuse me, well, no, they certify as uh, basic actor combatants, advanced actor combatants, um, so on and so forth. Uh, what the society does not do is actually certify your skills per weapon. What we do is uh, declare a proficiency. So uh, they basically because certification kind of gets into that legal area yeah. and a weird you know gray zone. Proficiency is to say that you as an actor have the ability to use this weapon in the proper technical sense. Um, and we have two, and there are two levels you can reach at the, uh, of with that. You can get basic pass, which is you know how to use this weapon, and then there's recommended pass, which is basically saying you know how to use this weapon and use it as a character, as a full-blown, fleshed-out um, person on stage who may or may not be martial. So you can integrate it mm -hmm. beyond just teaching someone, a layman, how to use it. Right, which is the lesser problem we're facing, I think, nowadays, uh, or have, have been facing lately, is that fights are now very... They're very strong, but they don't look quite right because sometimes the actor will drop the character they're playing in order to effectively. Um, I find this problem a lot. <laughs> put out those historical uh, dramas. I find that problem. Yeah, and it, and it's a big problem because you don't want to you don't want to break that illusion. You want to see uh, you want to see Romeo really be able to whip out a sword and kill Tybalt, even though he's not as trained as Tybalt. So how does that happen? Mm. That's our craft. Is how to blend character and weapon use, how to create a creative and interesting um, interesting dialogue and story of violence, but do it safely so that you can do that eight times a week and not ever hurt yourself. To switch gears a little bit, I want to talk a bit about bringing it back to music, although the opera connection was music related. True. Um, the group I didn't even that, think of that when I said it. The, the group you were singing with at, because you are also now, you were uh, an actor, you are an actor combatant, but you are also now a music director for a musical group at the New York Renaissance Fair, which is... Rascals and Rogues. And so you, it's how many people are in the group? We are a five person group. Um, I was, last year I was in the group, uh, just a, one of the members and there were eight of us. Uh, this year there, we are down to five, but I think we're a very strong five. I think we can carry it just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it the same members as last year or has it changed up a bit? We've changed up a bit. Uh, every cat, every year the New York Renaissance Fair cast changes. Um, a lot of our, uh, our members find amazing new jobs because of their experience with the fair or on their own um sometimes other things come up and you have to you know to, to, uh, deliberate your priorities um very rarely is it ever anyone leaving on bad terms or because they don't want to be that place is just too magical and right as much as we love performing we also just love being there sure so <laughs> um this year uh we've got two returning members myself and uh the creepy bard Okay. Who uh, is exactly what he sounds like. And he he's very good at it. That's weird. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we're bringing in three new members. One veteran of the... Uh, uh, two veterans of the fair uh, from last year. And one for the last ten years. Um, our um, improv 
uh, director, uh, Don Kilcoyne, will be joining us. I know Don. He's I'm friends amazing. with him. Sarah's introduced me to Don and Kelly, so I am friends with yeah, them. They're good they're, people. Oh, God, those people are great. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I happen to know a lot of fair folk, either through Sarah or through you. I've met Joe and, and, yeah. and Lindsay. And, and Don is our improv director this year. He's taken on a uh, quite the hefty uh, job in ke- trying to get... 40, 60, 80, how many people are in our cast now? We keep growing. It's, it's great. Um, and so talented, too. Uh, Don has the uh, pleasure to work with all of us and yeah. be harassed by all of us. Hope you're enjoying that one, Don. <laughs> uh, he gets to take this group of uh, ragtag individuals um, and hone these uh, talents that we're bringing out and just make us a, a village. Oh. This year, he'll be playing our mayor, uh, Mayor Bartholomew Bombadil. Nice. Uh, and he will be our lead percussion for Rascals and Rogues. Very cool. Because, <laughs> man, that man can drum. Um, and so the the song that you brought us today that we did record, Little Inside Magic, we recorded earlier because we wanted to get the sound just right because it's actually a unique setup for our recording, <laughs> um, is, is um, a song that you typically don't, sing but you play penny whistle on yes this is a song i do penny whistle um one of the other members uh sings this one uh it's actually an original song uh for rascals and rogues it was written by uh one of our members last year um david anthony okay very, very talented writer uh, very funny writer he's got some great stuff uh, we do two of his songs now um that uh we do the irish lad who plays an f which i played earlier for you guys today uh and we did uh he also wrote god and the little children which, if you get a chance to hear it at the fair, um, I'm sorry if I've offended you. <laughs> that <laughs> okay. one I get to sing. Um, so we're going to tack that on at the end of the podcast. Steve will work his editing magic as he usually does. Um, I just want to take a moment to thank you, Joe, for coming back to the podcast. It's my pleasure. Is thank it, you for having me back. It's a pleasure to have you here again and to talk about something besides karaoke, although I do love talking about karaoke. Um, I just like talking about me. Um Really quick, um, tell the people when the fair is, when how long it's running. Hear ye, hear ye, lords and ladies, come ye to the New York Renaissance Fair this summer, every weekend in August and September, and Labor Day Monday. You can find more information at www.nyrenfair.com. That's Renfair, R-E-N, fair, F-A-I-R-E, dot com. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, it's great having you back. Thank um, you. Great to be there. Be back. <laughs> be be there and be back. Yes. Um, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Of course, you know the spiel. If you want to recommend something, email, post on the Facebook, post on the site, comment, questions, um, donate. We're trying to expand the show constantly, get more guests, do some traveling, see more shows. Please, please donate. It'll make the podcast better. Um, we love having you as fans, and we thank you for your undying support. Because if we killed you with our podcast, I'd feel bad. Um, and we're also working on expanding our YouTube comment. Look for this week. I finally finished fine-tuning the Afterbirth Monkeys live performance of um, Took Your Boyfriend, the video version. That should be up this week. Um, as well as we are constantly expanding our podcast library on YouTube. So you can stream it there instead of having to download it or stream it from the website if YouTube's your bag. Um, before we close and hear some penny whistles, Steve, do you have a fan mail slash spam for us this week? <clears throat> Hello. I feel that I saw you visited my site, so I got here to return the prepper. I'm returning to find issues to enhance my website. Guess it's good enough to make use of a few of your ideas. By you, cafe. Honestly, I By think... By cafe? 
cafe. <clears throat> I think you messed up on that inflection. You you made it sound a little bit too downtrodden. I would have I would have gone with a rising finale. A few. Yeah. He's only making use of a few of our ideas. He's really selective. He's kind of he's kind of snooty. As Steve knows snooty. I know. Steve Takes one to know one. Um. Wow. And Snarky McSnark pants. We're friends. And um, Joe, can I task you with our sign-off? Do you remember wait, it from last no, time? Wait, wait, or should I wait. write it down? No, no, no. You forgot the most important thing of what? our finale. Oh, yeah, podcast. yeah. I did. I forgot because it's actually Abby Normal. Um, we are not doing an album review next week. Next week is our 100th episode. Yeah, you might have noticed you're sitting on 99, so if you can count. You know. So we're, we've been doing this for two years. We celebrate. Abby Normal? Yes. We Abby s- Normal. Yes. It's a quote. Young Frankenstein... Oh, that's right. Learn I don't it. like that movie. I well, because you. you have no taste. You I don't like you. that movie? No, I don't like Friends. Oh. Like anyway, it's our 100th episode. We're not friends We've been doing it for two years. Yay. That's the two-year mark, so we're going to do something special for you guys next week. Um, after Are you going to record the podcast naked? We do that anyway. They wouldn't know. <laughs> um, so we're definitely going to do something special, but I'm not going to share what that is yet because, you know, I want it to be a surprise. It's our season two finale. It's season two finale, yes. <laughs> We're too busy sitting naked podcasting. Pass me that spa brush, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First of all, Rub it's it called in. a loofah. Rub it in. <laughs> Second of all, you, you should have brought your own loofah. I like sharing loofahs with Steve. Not when you find out where he's been pooping the loofah. He also likes saying loofah. Loofah is a fun word to say. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So as a thank you to you guys, you know, we're going to do another special, like the 50th for the 100th, something along those lines. So come back next week to check that out. Then it's back to our regular schedule after that. Um, Joe, will you please take us out with our signature in your best uh, version of your character from the Renaissance Fair? Or one of the versions of his, his character <laughs> from the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> My good lords and ladies, music doth be life, and life doth be good. Fare thee well. Before a man had crossed the sea, before the western world was free, an Irishman said, sing with me, together we will pick a key. I'll sing in D, then I in C, when I play high, I'll play in G. Well, laddie's good, it's all agreed, forever we will use these three. They Irish, they may fight and fret, at times will drink themselves to death. But the strangest one I'd ever met was the Irish lad who played in F. He jumped up on the bar to play, and asked for neither drink nor pay. So handsome that I thought he fay, was the Irish lad I met today. The Irishmen all dropped their beers and covered up their Irish ears Said that's a tune I won't have near, get that bastard out of here He'd blow the guitar and strum the horn, his parents died before he was born Ate supper at the crack of morn, always in red was he adorned 
The Irishmen were quite consumed, and in the air a danger loomed. Alas, the Irish lad resumed to play an unfamiliar tune. He'd dance for the blind and sing for the deaf. His name was Paddy, but call him Jeff. The strangest boy I'd ever met was the Irish lad who played an F. The Irishman had quite enough and grabbed the young boy by the scruff and threw him off the nearest bluff. Perhaps they were a bit too rough. But quickly downward life he left. Last word we heard him say was <coughs> Yet in our way we'll mourn the death of the Irish lad who played in F.